Yeah, it's good. Like to like, uh, especially for new GMs, you need to know that hey, it's okay if you want to add like an extra trait on here. The entire system is not going to suddenly collapse and implode upon itself. Right. Um, right. So it's always, right. always good to have those things. I'm gonna go ahead and open my first beverage of the evening here. So, nice long work week. I finally broke the streak. I do not have to work Sunday this weekend, which would have been nine in a row. Um, That's good. My bottle opener here for everyone in chat, gang. This is an ampersand. It is my favorite word in the English language. Not and, mind you. Ampersand. Um, because it's not a proper noun. It's not capitalized. It's it, But it only means the one thing. It's such a specific word. I like. It's like genuflect. You only... <laughs> I'm sorry, my writing nerd is starting to come out. <laughs> That's um, fine. <laughs> um, what's up, chat gang? I am the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man in Age of Sigmar. Welcome to Rantcast 55. I'm joined tonight by Elaine Lithgow, RPG writer of Soulbound and Wrath and Glory, and uh, producer for DigiSprite. How's it going tonight, Elaine? Good, good. It's uh, it's a bit later here, and it's uh, just gone past half past ten uh, at the end of a work week. So I'm I'm a little I'm a little on the downward slope, but we're gonna we're gonna try and keep the energy high. There we go. And uh, and my beverage of the evening will be water. Water. Ooh. So so hardcore. There you go. Living living on the edge. Uh, where mm. where is here? Uh, just real quick for chat gang. Oh, here is Scotland, Bonnie Scotland. Hmm. Um, not quite the Highlands, but. Uh, but uh, Dundee in Scotland, which is, um, yeah, it's kind of like the the center for game design and things like that in Scotland and the UK in general, actually. There's, really? Yeah, See, yeah. Already starting out with like sort of a fascinating like uh, knowledge bomb there. Like, why? Do you, any any speculation or any any insights as to why Dundee is the place? Uh, DMA Digital and Rockstar were founded here. Um, <laughs> was kind of like the. The big things, so you know, Lemmings, Carmageddon, all these sort of things, and then uh, yeah, Rockstar was founded in Dundee, uh, so Grand Theft Auto, uh, things like that, um, and then they they moved up to Edinburgh eventually when they got big. But uh, obviously, the legacy here is huge. Um, you can walk into we've got a um, a museum in Dundee, and you can walk in and see the history of Lemmings and uh, Grand Theft Auto and things like that. Those are those are um, actually. Oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off there. Um... No, 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 that's 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 kind of it, and just like a lot of talent and stuff. We've got uh, Aberdeen University um, okay. is is where I studied, and that's like one of the best game design courses, just because a lot of that original talent is there and now teaching and stuff like that as well. So that's is they're the ones who do the seminars on like um, some of the original ho like um, like uh, gosh, I'm trying to I forget the uh, the journalist's name, but they did the uh, like. 12 no-nos of game design, like the worst games ever made. Like they did all the, all the seminars came from there, didn't they? Um, there's definitely a lot. I, I can't <laughs> say that they all come from there. There's definitely a lot. Right, right on, right on. And I see, I remember, I actually like, we're starting out on the video game tangent immediately, which Emmett mm -hmm. and I had a, had a bit of one. Uh, I guess he started in the video game industry and then he moved into kind of the the tabletop how was your journey into like how did you get into the tabletop gaming did you do much video games first did you jump immediately into the tabletop <laughs> side of things um no i was actually much in the same honestly um i grew up um with warhammer dungeons and dragons tabletop gaming um but as a as a rebellious teen in the digital era i was like i love these things but i want to tell stories yeah. um digitally and things so i went and i studied 
uh, game design, but it was obviously mostly, it was pretty much all focused on video game design. Um, I graduated during the recession, so that was cool. Uh, so I worked in oil and gas for a while, <laughs> um, doing interactive training tools, which I kidded myself on were games. And you know, they were they were kind of games. It was like, uh, I remember making a, a Sims-esque um, oil rig safety thing where you had to tell your people how to evacuate the oil rig or they'd run around and get caught on fire and <laughs> you'd get a safety ring at the end. Like um, <laughs> Top-down isometric, like... <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, this was all built in uh, Unity, like when Unity first came out and stuff. So it was yeah. jank as heck. But for well, all these oil and gas folk who'd been using whiteboards for fifty years, it blew their minds. Um, <laughs> That's actually pretty fantastic. Um, I just real quick, since you mentioned uh, Grand Theft Auto, I, I uh, see, I um, I started out trying to like do like writing and journalism. We we kind of talked a little bit like about like our sort of mutual experiences writing. Um, I went English lit, like, I'm gonna write, darn it, uh, and then I actually ended up getting into video games <laughs> with that, um, so I did some games journalism, I did some games jams, I have a couple games that, uh, a ton of video games tank before the, like, they even go to market, and I mm-hmm. was the victim of a couple of those as, like, the, the writer, um, but I remember, like, loving Rockstar originally, the original Grand Theft Auto, because it was very video gamey. But then it mm-hmm. went like very sim simulator style. It like as it went later on in, into it. And like around Grand Theft Auto, I think it was five, I'm like, I'm just bowling and going on dates. What is going on? <laughs> hey Nico, you want to go bowling? Yeah. This was that's the meme, right? Right? Yeah. Hey Nico. I'm like, yeah. no, I don't want to go bowling. I want the like I want the, the Tim Burton overly colorful like cars like almost pac-man style like top down <laughs> i mean yeah I, I remember that the first time was, was that gta 4 gta 4 was the go. first time they kind of went with the third person right yeah or was that th- three? Oh, no, no, three, three, three three was, was the first time. yeah because yeah, it was three vice city and then i think it was four was the first time where at the beginning of the game you get off the ship your cousin comes to pick you up you hop inside this horrible jalopy kind of like car and you steer it and i remember at the time just being like hold up <laughs> what's going on here yeah. um but uh but yeah so but yeah. yeah yeah i mean video games have come a long way and it's it's interesting because like i i find that like we're all kind of i feel like we're going back to tabletops a lot more uh, the, the trend in the market certainly shows that tabletop gaming, like including CCGs and traditional board games, are really on the upward swing. And so there's this like, almost this like this this renaissance of of tabletop gaming. And I mean, you you get to count yourself a part of that, so that's got to be pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was what I saw. Um, so after I, I left oil and gas, and I ended up going into the video games industry once things picked up again, mm-hmm. companies started hiring again, um, and I was in games for. Uh, video games for about about five years um and uh, over that five-year period i started to see because we started having uh things like critical role coming out and uh, acquisitions incorporated and things like that and we started seeing more uh like the venn diagram of tabletop nerds and video game nerds just started to to overlap yeah more. it's basically um, a circle these days now <laughs> like, yeah it's definitely and i think a lot of it's just like shared literacy you look at a lot of video games coming out of the the 90s the early noughties and stuff and uh, even i mean you obviously had things like your Baldur's gates your your original fallouts and things that were literally running on 
D20 uh, tabletop RPG systems, just the computer was doing yeah, all it was for doing you. the math for you. Yeah, in the background. Um, so it feels like a lot of um, like the tabletop role playing literacy was kind of like snuck into the curriculum of gamers. Because yeah. if you were talking in like the 80s, where people are like, "What's a video game? Pac-Man, uh, Space Invaders." Um, right. Whereas nowadays, you can kind of pick up your your average kid knows what an epic item is. They understand how strength affects things, how dexterity affects things, because right. they played The Witcher, you know, and or or whatever game like RPG elements like that are so cross-pollinated now that it's so much easier to go from video games into tabletop games because you're just like, okay, cool. Like it's you know, unless it's a very esoteric system, um, you can come in, pick it up. No, I see. I I love. I I've made the like. I I had that sort of like angry, you know, old man yells at clouds from the Simpsons moment where I'm like, why are RPG elements invading every video game? Why does every game have to have a level up system? You mm. kind of like, kind of flipped it on me, and like now I'm admiring, not not so much <laughs> that like every game was like co-opting RPGs, but that they were kind of like low key indoctrinating us to go back toward the table with like the epic items and and like the sort of like the the headier side of of, of rpgs mm-hmm. which is you can't but respect it now uh as you know i i um i kind of grew up doing both it was like i would tabletop game when i could when i could have friends around and i would play video games when i was by myself and that still tracks for me now where i don't play co-op video games i i got addicted to wow like anybody else but i mm-hmm. i tend video games tend to be a solitary thing for me and then I'm like when i want to play games with people i'm like like bust out the board game let's go um but uh man there like it's it's just interesting to, th- to see that like this sort of like an um kind of it, it's been happening for a while i think another thing that you kind of said in there like if you talk about video games hey in the 80s like what pac-man those weren't very like story rich games in those original time mm-hmm. in that sort of that i guess you call it like the silver age the sort of advent of 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 gaming you know well you had zork uh which was a text base and then you had sort of an evolution of video games but for a long time like many art forms just like with the um you know videotaping a train or a horse taking photo of a of a of a horse running, where as these emergent art forms come out, we almost go, "Can we do this?" And then <laughs> we evolve the art form. So initially, we saw the thing, and then you know, as video games evolve, like now we're throwing stories into video games, right? Mm-hmm. Was there was there a moment where you were like when when a video game was like, "I can really tell a story here"? Was there? Did you remember having that moment? Hmm. Oh gosh. See now, I have a bunch of different moments. Mm. Uh, that steered my desire to tell narratives in games. Um, the, I think the earliest moment was playing Mordheim. If, do you remember Mordheim, the old Warhammer uh, skirmish game? Yeah, like the, the 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 sweet city, right? Like that's that's Mordheim, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the 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 blasted sort of uh, post-apocalyptic Warhammer world. Um, and I wrote about this. I wrote a blog for Cubicle Seven, sort of as a, as a getting to know you blog. Um, and uh, I, I, I loved Mordheim because you had these emergent narratives because after every combat, uh, after every battle, uh, you're, any of your like characters who got injured or ever rolled on injury tables and suddenly your sharpshooter had, was missing an eye and you're like, whoa, hold on, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, and you're sort of getting these emergent narratives just sort of like fed to you. 
Um, is this the original? And, uh, I'm sorry, you continue your point, but is this the original? Like, I used to be an adventurer, but then I took an arrow to the knee. Like that was <laughs> an arrow to the eye is a bit more dramatic, but sure, I'll yeah, take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, continue. I'm sorry. Um, with the no, the emergent narratives, your your sharpshooter goes down. Yeah. Um, and there was there was one of the injury roles that was a bitter rival or bitter enmity or something. I forget what it was, but you picked someone on the opposing warband, or it was it was the person on the opposing warband who had taken your model out of combat, you became a bitter rival with. Um, and I believe you got bonuses to attack against that, or it frenzied you when you saw them. I can't remember the exact rule, but suddenly I was like, oh, holy heck, story is happening on my tabletop. Um, and I eventually had, a, a, we had a climactic showdown at one point. We are in the middle of this battle. I could have easily won because the only remaining unit on the other side that had like the objective or whatever it was was this one character that i had that the, the leader of my warband had enmity for and i could have easily just like shot them to death but instead i made sure to like stop everything and get my leader across the board so they could have one final damn showdown um and uh, and that was like the moment where we we broke the best tactical moves it wasn't a case of Oh hey, I can win the game. It was it was this is a crystalline moment of just emergent narrative peaking. And uh, I remember like sort of wrapping up and being like, man, that was amazing. I wish there were like more things like that. And then from there I was like uh, like actual tabletop <laughs> role playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and things. I was like, yeah. holy crap, these things exist. Um yeah. I can half understand these things now because I was young at the time. Mm-hmm. We're talking like God, I must have been like like 12 maybe 14 or something mm-hmm. um, and it blew my mind at the time i think that's, that's about where i got like really into rpgs is about like sixth grade is where that mm-hmm. happened for me too um see what, what's interesting is like we, we kind of started out talking about video games video games by and large are still very linear stories you know for the, yeah you can explore the world and stuff like that um but you're still kind of at the at the whims of of the 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 director and and, and the writers of that game with board games and tabletop and especially RPGs, I find that there's this organic back and forth that happens. It's it, this dialogue, the, the, this ever-changing narrative, this very organic story begins to unfold in a way. It, that's what, for me, makes t- tabletop RPGs special. As a as a writer, I'm kind of on my island. Like, yeah, I, I, I workshop with people and I have peer, peer editors and, you know, there's a whole process there. Um, writing isn't as solitary as you think, but for the most part, when it's, like, time to tell the story, I just, you know this happened and this happened and this happened mm-hmm. right um but when i'm when you're doing a, like a game like what you just described like you're sort of like yes anding each other in that sort of uh you know that that sort of like uh improv sort of way within mm-hmm. a framework that keeps you from going into like total absurdity and so you have these really organic climaxes and peaks of 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 interest that are just I mean, there's there's really nothing like a, a proper like narrative in a tabletop experience. I think. I think. Um. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Um, I think like uh, it's been a long time since I uh, I sort of particularly enjoyed playing things that didn't have some form of narrative, even if it was an emergent narrative, or the system was flexible enough that you could impart your own narrative in it. Um, but like, uh, for example, if we're playing. We play a lot of board games for DigiSprite. Um, we call them scholarly board games um, <laughs> because we're always sort of like looking at what's this new thing and stuff. And I'm the one person at the table who's always sitting there like, okay, so we're playing 
we're playing Azul. We're, we're moving little tiny plastic tiles around the table. But what am I doing? Who am I? Why am I moving these little tiles around? I'm going to beat you. I'm going to make better tiles than you because we have a rivalry. <laughs> I'm always like trying to like squeeze these narratives in, even into games that are 100% just like kind of standard like numbers yep. games or Euro games or whatever. I'm always trying to crack that spice on there, as I call it. Yeah. Uh, to try and figure out how we can make a story of everything. And so, Digi, with with uh, with Digi Sprite, it's it's you and your partner, um, like kind of developing board games, right? Yeah, it's uh, myself and my partner Robin, um, and uh, one of my friends, um, Sam, who's the uh, one of the designers as well. Right. On. Um, he was the lead designer on Adventure Mart and things like that. So it's kind of like a three-person operation, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and we we all take turns on like who's who's lead designer on this project and things like that. So it's a very, uh, we, we all pitch ideas to each other. Um, there's Sam has a pile of prototypes in various, normally it's like, you, you know, Magic the Gathering? Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Like little Magic the Gathering um, deck boxes and stuff. Cause he makes a lot of card games. It's always card game prototypes and things with Sam. Um, and there's, there's literally stacks of prototypes as high as he is. Um, and we always make sure to have like one day of the week where we're just like, okay, cool. It's Digi Sprite dev time. Um, <laughs> and Sam can be like, okay, cool. And just like, yep, just pull a, a prototype out and be like, we're playing this this week. See, I, pitch I, I, ideas and stuff. I love that you, you talked, you talked about the, um, um, I feel like this Radcast could go in like a totally different direction. We just talk about board games all night. Um, <laughs> but, but I like that you talk about like the, these scholarly games. Is this like R and D you're like playing other folks games yeah. and like, trying to figure out what's what's great um yeah well that's what we like i mean robin gets me into trouble for it sometimes because i can't not overly analyze everything so like uh i literally before i came on here uh we had a movie night um and because uh, one of my favorite things in the world is getting a bunch of friends going to the cinema watching a movie and then sitting down like going out for a meal afterwards and just like breaking that thing down to its components like down to like shot composition <laughs> and and freaking like uh, soundtrack and backgrounds did you see the thing the themes like i think we we sat for about an hour after watching parasite just being like and the stairs the, the themes with the stairs and everything and we're just like and i do that with everything um which is good when you're trying to break down something like a board game because you spend like three hours playing a board game and you're like well what how did this mechanic i'm not sure if i like this mechanic because right. it kind of stopped this or it gave this feeling and blah 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 not yeah. so good when you're on date night, um, and uh, it's just Robin and I or whatever. Oh yeah, and, what? uh, and she's like, "Could you just turn off for a second? And I'm like, what "The stairs." Looks <laughs> <laughs> well, like um, uh, uh, my my partner and I. We she it's become a verb when I do this to movies and stuff like that. Um, right. But I've got her doing it now, where she breaks them down. Um, I can't remember what we were watching, but I pointed out the orange blue dynamic in cine- uh, in cinematic. Or in oh, cinema, yeah. where like you'll teal and orange, yeah, teal and orange <laughs> to essentially like uns- to show an un- uh, imbalance or unsettling or draw you in, right? And there, we were watching a movie recently, and she just goes blue orange, blue orange, and I'm like nailing it, <laughs> like, but like it's like my madness is like spreading to everyone as they go. I call it mystery mm-hmm. science theatering things, like, I love to like, oh, man, that's a reference, <laughs> like, you gotta like, you know. There's there's watching a, a like a film and then there's like mystery sciencing it where you just you sit down and like you you crack jokes but you're also in that like moment of like breaking mm. it down. Yeah, for sure. 
do you think there's a um a downside to that? Like you said, it's a, you know downside for a date night, great for board games. But do you think there's like just sort of like like um do you think there's like a like a downside to like just being wired that way in terms of like movie? Does it hinder the enjoyment sometimes, or is it just a different type of enjoyment? Sometimes the worst thing I've noticed is as I've got older, I've got bored with movies more because, I, like you know, you look at the monomyth. We it's very easy to predict most movies. Yes. Um, it's very difficult to be surprised, especially, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of my uh, you know, you go you watch your Marvel movies, you sit down for two hours and and you have some you see some good action set pieces and some fun, but you always know how that movie's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be quite tough that way i don't know whether that's just getting older and film literacy and stuff you sort of get hammered in your head it's like i've seen this one mm-hmm. um and things like that and that's it's it's a side to it but i find that it sort of doubles down my appreciation of when something does surprise me whether nice. it's a board game or a novel or uh, or a movie or, or a video game or anything when something really does surprise you especially if it has an emotional resonance regardless of whether that's like joy or fear or anything like that if something really touches you on that emotional level through your your shields of, of analytical scanning uh, that's when you know something's really good well I, i'm thinking of the movie green room which i watched every um october is my absolute favorite month i love i love october i love halloween uh so we always do like horror movie marathons because horror movies like i can sometimes turn off my brain and i'm like okay i'm just gonna watch for the set pieces uh, you know, Stephen King's got the line about the gross out versus terror and like how they're different. Mm-hmm. And like, so you can kind of turn off the brain. I was watching gr- green room and it, it shut off my brain entirely. Like I, I didn't analyze it. I was just like, what just, what did I, what just happened? Like <laughs> when films, like where you're talking about, like the ones that surprised you, it wasn't so much like it was surprised. It's just like my, a- the analytical brain just shut off. Cause I was so like pulled in to this, that narrative um, I think games kind of do that like on accident a little bit mm. because you're invested in like a win con or you're, you're, you're looking at the, at the mechanics. Right. But like mm-hmm. with a board game, there's gotta be, a, you know, it, it, there's a difference in writing a, a film narrative versus writing a tabletop game or, or an RPG, especially. Um, what are some challenges you've found with sort of like maybe drawing people into to this world and some, you know, and, and, and getting them to like, you know, buy in and play rather than just anal- like maybe analytical brain or whatever it is. Or maybe do you do you play with the analytical brain and say, "Ha, ah, gotcha!" Like how do you, like how do you ch- tackle that challenge yourself? Um, Ooh, well, there's yeah. like there's well, <laughs> sorry, the loaded see, question. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's more just that my brain instantly came up with three different scenarios because um, <gasps> you're you're kind of looking at so creating stories or creating frameworks for stories that are then going to be used in um a sort of ad lib um uh like shared narrative right creating a framework for that is is one thing and then there's being the gm and then there's being the player of all the three i find being the player the hardest um, really be- oh for sure i i because of that over analytical sort of thing um i find being a player very difficult because i end up um it's like you're taking uh, like a, a gm's brain when you're used to creating like plot arcs and characters and oh, like yeah. 12 characters for each scene and all these sorts of things and all you do, 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 do and you're like compressing it all down you're like here's your character this is the only thing you can actually really control especially out of session mm-hmm. um 
and and then I'm like, okay, cool. So I need to write a ten thousand word short story for this character now, um, <laughs> because because all, all of that stuff is like crammed into this like one agent in the world that you have. Yeah. Um. So that's like the hardest for me, and I'm always if there's like a GM, um, at the table. Um, I'm always constantly, I just can't shut off the brain. That's like, oh, how are they GMing? What are they doing? Oh, See, how is this working out? Are we going to have like a twist here or whatever? How's this creature? What's this stat block? What's it doing? What's its abilities? Oh, that's interesting. I wonder how they're working that out. Uh, oh, I wouldn't have done that. No, they yeah. took player control away there. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and again, that can be troublesome. It makes it harder for me to enjoy being a player. So um, you said it's harder to be a player. I guess what's your favorite, player or GM? like um is it firmly gm because of all the aforementioned or i have a love-hate relationship with gming i love gming <laughs> um when you're sitting around a table and you're creating a story and you're injecting your characters and you've you've lovingly crafted 200 or however many characters and you're setting them out into the world and they're interacting and you're doing all the voices and, and uh, all the set pieces are going off and people are having a great time um i hate gming when you enter crunchy combat um that's like the <laughs> primary thing uh -huh. that i despise is when you hit that roadblock and you're like okay cool we're in a fight with two town guards it's going to take us three hours someone get some doritos because we're going to be here while someone rolls <laughs> 10 hit locations or whatever um well, so, so yeah well, like, really crunchy systems are bad well like soulbound me. actually did a really good job with i think it, it's got some serious math as I've talked about a couple different shows now, but when it gets right down to a it, combat's like really punchy. It, it's it's pretty mm -hmm. clean and quick overall. I find. Um, did you? I guess throughout the development process, when you're you're helping write stuff, some stuff, were you playing as well? Um, I didn't actually like full disclosure. I didn't get a chance to play Soulbound until after the core book had come out. <laughs> Which it was okay because I wasn't doing the design for that stuff. I was literally being given briefs and it was like, okay, cool. Here's the bestiary. Here is this huge list of monsters we want um, and write, you know, 500 words on a um, Dankle Trogoth or, yeah. or 200 words on, on this thing and write about this faction or whatever. I, I guess um, all that stuff. To familiarize chat gang, um, so what what part portion of so so I mentioned at the onset like you you wrote for Soulbound and Wrath and Glory, in in terms mm -hmm. of like the Soulbound book someone picks up, uh, what what portion was your like what were your contributions to that specifically like your your writing what did you write for there you mentioned uh, like kind of what how the how but what <laughs> uh, yeah for the Soulbound core book uh, if you flip to the bestiary anything that's not anything that's not rules pretty much. Yeah. Um, was uh, stuff that I wrote. So all the flavor text, all the descriptors of the monsters and descriptions of the factions and things like that. Was, that was my domain. Um, and I left all of the, the number crunching and stuff to the people at Cubicle 7 who, like Emmett and everything, who'd obviously been playtesting their system for years or however long they'd been in development. Mm -hmm. um, for Wrath and Glory, it was a similar thing except with the war gear section. So I wrote about all the things that go boom um, and all the guns and things like that. And that was fun and all the war gear. Um, and I did, a, I did a handful of the archetypes as well. Like I did all of the Sisters of Battle. Ah, there were some, it was, it was like a scatter shot because I finished the war gear off and they're like, okay, we need some, we need some help getting some more of these archetypes. And then uh, Zach at Cubicle 7 just fired me like, okay, here's like, 
can you write these 10 archetypes? And I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> um, that's very much, I find it very difficult to say no to work. Uh, as, yeah. As, uh, Emma and everyone will attest to. They're just like, because at first the bestiary was going to be shared and then things happened and they're just like, can you just write the whole bestiary? And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> do that. It's fine. Well- you you were kind of ma- like mentioning uh I think in the pre-show we'll call it like you you were kind of mentioning like you just you can't stop like you can't say no to work you can't stop working you, mm. you um I mean yeah. that's in in terms of my job so I have a nine to five game design job um with a company based out of California which is doing a lot of um interactive experiences for uh, remote workers and things like that mm-hmm. uh, so like running D and D esque games for devs who are scattered around the world to give them a connecting point and stuff mm-hmm. so like sort of gming game design nine to five and then i freelance tabletop rpg right uh, for cubicle seven and things like that um i'm producer slash designer depending on what hat i'm wearing at digisprite which is the board game company that i run with my partner um, and i also try to write short fiction and science fiction and fantasy when the previous paid work is not <laughs> sucking up all my time is yeah. that it? I feel like that's it. Well, that that see, that's a lot. I, I mean, I I have got my like standard nine to five. I've got Rantcast. I've got the quote unquote secret project, which is a uh, a writing gig. Uh, I can't really talk a ton about it, but it's that's pretty persistent. And like until we're able to show something for it, I can't talk. So that, I've got that, and then and then when I can like steal scraps of my own time, I'll write on my, I'll write my own stuff. It sounds like you're kind of in the same boat a little bit. Um, yeah. 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 Bring the candle at both ends. I believe they call it. You've, you've added candle ends to it at this point. You're just like, there's three I've just four chucked all of the wax in a vat and just set the vat on fire and started dancing around it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of the, the visual I go for most times. There you go. Oh man, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess we, we've mentioned uh, DigiSprite a couple times. If if I actually wanted to like pick up a DigiSprite game, like what what should I be looking for? Where should I go? Like I mean, you've uh, you've you've already kind of like sold me. I'm like I got to Like I I've got to see like what else. Uh, you know, like yeah. So yeah, um, we've got. You can hop on to the DigiSprite store, uh, which is just um, HTTP DigiSprite.co.uk. I believe mm-hmm. I'm going to get very angry words uh, from <laughs> Rob and if it's .com. Um, there's also, you can catch team DigiSprite on Twitter, um, which is where we do like a lot of our updates and everything. Yeah. Um, in terms of games, we have two games that you can buy right now. Our first one, Doomsday Bots, um, which is a, a fun, like robot building uh, dungeon crawling type adventure thing, all in a little card game. Um, well, is that like a, like an analog to like maybe like something like someone might be familiar with like uh, was a Cutthroat Cavern or like a Munchkin style like uh, Munchkin's a fairly a fairly decent analogy for it. It was essentially um, that the idea being it's a post apocalypse and you're all mad scientists um, and uh, there's a there's a <laughs> clock tower um, and there's another mad scientist standing at the clock top of the clock tower with a doomsday device. Um, and you want the doomsday device because you you want to be the one to end the world. Um, so it's up to four other mad scientists, and you build robots. So you start the game with a draft, which is you searching the the wasteland for robot parts, uh, like arms and heads and guns and rocket legs and 
um, like AI chips and stuff, and you smash together a robot, and then you send it up the tower, and the tower is all random rooms. Um, and every part you give your bot gives them like an ability and like stats. So you're kind of like doing this automated sort of uh, dungeon um, as you flip through the rooms and there's, oh, it's, it's mecha bees um, will come and attack <laughs> your bots. And then anytime, anytime your bot is damaged, you parts of you break off so you can like pick them back up and try and repair your bot as it goes. Or uh, And also you can fight each other because only one bot can win. Only right. one bot can defeat the boss at the top and take the doomsday device at the bottom of the tower so it has this wonderful moment where the game switches from where you climb to... all the way up <laughs> yeah you, so you climb all the way up the top of the tower and you can still fight each other but a lot of the time people work together so you fight all the way up the top of the tower you kill the boss and then suddenly everyone stands around the doomsday device and it's like I want it. And then people start laying into each other and you can rip each other's arms off and then steal their arms for your own bot and stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bunch of chaos. Uh, and that was our, that was our first board game. I'm already sold yeah. on it. Like you, you had me at like mad scientist dueling. <laughs> yeah. like, I, um, man, so a self-destruct button on your bot at all times. If you really just want to like, cause you're the mad scientist. So if you, if your bot blows up, you just build another robot and start from the bottom of the tower. Yeah, uh, and work your way back up. So <laughs> that's fantastic. That was our that was, that was our the first, first one. Yeah, it sounds like you, you mm. just like uh, home run at like out the gates for. Uh... So, was, so what's yeah. the other? Yo, go ahead. Uh, the the other one is Adventure Mart, uh, which is a um, fantasy. It's like a, a soft deck builder slash bidding game. Mm. So the idea um, being that you're essentially running like a Seven Eleven in a fantasy world is kind of like the thing. So uh, you you buy stock into your store, which is your like deck building thing. You install fixtures, which are like a well, mana slushy machine. Uh, so the mages come in yeah. and you can get a slushy. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, and then customers come into the stores um, and you've got to like bid your stock in like a weird kind of, uh, I think Sam likes to use the term wizard poker. Um, and it becomes this sort of like, okay, so this this person's walking into the store and it's a fighter's guild person, so they want weapons. So you're like bidding the quality of your weapons to try and get them to come to you and stuff, hmm. um, to come into your store. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a real kind of... And it's it's got it's got beautiful art, um, uh, which is the, the primary thing that everyone says about Adventure Mart when they see it. It's got this kind of um, like Animal Crossing-esque... Uh, like really, really fun, like, cool art. Practically every card is some kind of gaming reference. <laughs> this um, is this is the one that's actually on um, on the uh, Twitter pages. Uh, um, yeah, right now. Um, yeah, that's the one that. Uh, so we, that was kickstarted last year, um, and we actually ended up canceling the Kickstarter halfway through because we got picked up by a publisher, and it was Hub Games. Yeah. Um, right. So so that's now out as of. Last Friday, I believe, was the official launch for Adventure Mart. So that's so can, that's yeah. that's a loaded schedule. You you launch a new game. You also then have this. Um, I don't sound like we're kind of switching into sound uh, like to sign off mode there, but I just got it, like you just you just like sounded like you really. I don't know. It just sounded really interesting. Uh, so I've actually put up the splat uh, on my little like sort of splash art here. This is some of the art from uh, from the uh, uh, from this board game, and okay. it is. Uh, a kawaii as heck. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah. got, um, and uh, Kicker here in chat says, um, this game sounds amazing. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad. Yeah, for, for FYI, for those in the chat, um, I don't trust my laptop to run Twitch at the same time. Uh, as this call so all, all your your questions and stuff are getting are getting fed through your lovely host today <laughs> yeah you're gonna uh, it's it, it's a lot easier too if you at me so so i can see the questions popping up in chat there uh so remember chat gang you're the show within the show you you uh you help us out here um so, so, that's, so that's game number two and then yeah. game number three we're ramping up for launch uh, on kickstarter sometime in july because uh, we tried to do a game a year because we're insane i guess um <laughs> that's that's got to be i mean that's got to be a process in and of itself like you're you talked about like how many like you know plates you're kind of spinning at the same time and trying to 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 launch these games Uh, luckily it sounds like you got like a great sort of close-knit team but Mm. a game a year is ambitious i mean that's it's crazy it's yeah it's it's pretty crazy um but uh i mean we're all um it's kind of it's like a big part of our our love and our hobby um, and right now, because um, you know we're not we're not doing Digi Sprite stuff as our main nine to five. Like we all have nine to five jobs um, outside of Digi Sprite, which means that all of our Digi Sprite projects can really be passion projects. Mm-hmm. We're not stuck in some sort of thing where it's like, okay, cool, we better turn out a, a Doomsday Bots expansion this month, otherwise we can't pay the rent. You know, mm-hmm. um, and like when you're passionate about projects, um, you you know. They just get done. They just get done. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Um, yeah. And we do have a really great support structure right. you know, between myself and Sam and Robin. Like we all we all spin the plates. We keep the plates spinning. Sometimes I'm like, I can't work on this for a couple of weeks. You know, I'm sorry. I gotta I gotta focus on uh, Soulbound's launching. <laughs> I gotta I gotta deal with stuff there. Can you guys focus on this? And it's just a lot of a lot of balance and spinning plates. Right. Well, you you and and amid this, you actually you wrote the first module essentially for Soulbound. Yeah, the Crash and Burn. Um, that was my first. Uh, that was like the first. Yeah, it's the first adventure module. Um, for for Soulbound. So that was exciting. That was crazy. Um, and the amount of uh, fun and creative freedom I got on that was uh, well, it was incredible. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm still kind of blown away that that actually happened and the amount of love and positivity and stuff that's come out of that module Yeah, so um, has been great. Yeah, and uh, so, uh, Cubicle 7 actually released this. You you can grab this PDF right now. You go over to Cubicle 7. like For free. Yeah, for free. Yeah. Insanity. Uh, Warcom, the War, Warhammer community team, I think, was talking about running it, too. I don't... Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah saw, it was Phil, Phil Kelly, I think. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, saw, I saw I was playing in it and stuff as well, and I'm just like... That's crazy. <laughs> um, um, was this a was this a like couldn't say no type moment where you're like, oh hey, can you write us an adventure real quick, or did you you take the like kind of like seek this out and take this on, or was this an idea you had brewing as it? Uh, I guess oh, real quick, what is the basic premise of, of Crash and Burn, and then like how did that come to to be? Uh, the basic premise of Crash and Burn, without going into spoilers, because I don't know who's players, I don't know who's GM. Yeah, no spoilers. Like so yeah, no yeah. spoilers. Um, but you are a group. You're the a binding uh, group of Soulbound, and you are tasked with accompanying a vital supply run, a Caradron uh, Overlord's fleet, carrying supplies uh, from Hammerhall to the newly reclaimed settlement of Brightspear. Um, and uh, 
The module is called Crash and Burn, so I'll let your imaginations uh, fill in some of the gaps there, but uh, but it starts off with, with that, and, and I love this. Uh, when I first was asked about this sort of thing, and I, I immediately envisioned, you, you know, Flash Garden, come on. Mm-hmm. The, this this moment of, like, flying through and the metal, dun, 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 and, like, everything going, and all these Caradron airships and stuff, and then... Yeah. Uh, a big epic battle and yeah like, like the, this. And the, the double like, bass so came on yeah like that's uh that's soul bound for me so that was was kind of like what i wanted to to do for this big thing and um, yeah so that's that's the basic premise without going into spoilers there we go yeah fantastic good pitch for it like what's going on um so that's gonna that's gonna i uh like IGM myself, and you've mentioned GMing and playing and stuff like that. There is a different gear you have to be in when you're writing an adventure versus when you're writing uh, like a story. You're just you know freelance thing you're trying to sell, right? Like there's there's mm-hmm. it's a different gear. Um, you know, freelancers we tend to live by the word count a lot. It's like okay, two thousand word story due by this time. This is the theme. Uh, all, right, all right, okay, I can I can write something for that, or I've got a story for that in the trunk. Which you're not supposed to use trunk stories, by the way, if you're a freelance writer. Please. Don't use your trunk stories. Don't tell anyone you're using your trunk stories. Just don't... Use your trunk stories, but don't tell anyone your trunk stories. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, for those of you at Chat Gang who might not be woke to the, the writer jargon, um, trunk story is a story that you've you've written, either it's been rejected or you never submitted it, and you just like put it in the quote-unquote writer's trunk. So every writer mm-hmm. is supposed to theoretically have this metaphoric space. Mine is just like a, a folder on my desktop called Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I know, oh, no. I know. At least it's, it's not uh, called Dream Graveyard. Um, that would be a true name for a trunk in my eyes. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, so you have the, like every writer's got a trunk. Um, Use your trunk stories. Just, just don't say their trunk stories. Um, continue. Yeah, but yeah, you live by the word count. Um, but with with you know jamming the group I know, I have a different threshold for how I'm like. Usually, I try to follow the three act. You know. You know, da 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 da. One two three. One two three. I usually try to follow three act structure. I just find it lends itself really decently to playing a game. Um, it works really well with streaming too, because if you stream for three hours, one hour, two hour, three hour, you take breaks in between. Boom, perfect. Um, but like, I know my players when I write an adventure. I almost can't fathom having this weird in between space of like players I intend to play my game that I know, and writing you know you know the the sort of the freelance side of things where it's like okay i have to you know i have to do this for an audience of the thing that i'm submitting to or, or whatever how i mean that there had to be a challenge that had to be a different type of writing um yeah yeah um the, the way i tried to envision it um when it like obviously if you're writing a, a narrative or a story and you know there's there's no one way to write a, a novel or a piece of fiction or or whatever and um, there's no one way to write that either some people discovery right as they go along which is probably the closest i would say if because some people discovery right by essentially um forming this perfect fully realized individual and then dumping them into a world that they've created and seeing what happens mm-hmm. which is which is kind of i guess like collaborative storytelling Mm-hmm. Um, me, I'm a big outliner and planner and, and things like that. And anything I try to pence just falls at the end of act one. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so so this is um uh, you used another like writer jargon which is pantsing or or a pants or flying by the seat of your oh, pants, yeah. right? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're this is this gives us an opp- I I don't get to writer nerd too often when I'm just talking about Age of Sigmar. So like this is I mean this is this is my lifeblood. Like I do the podcast because I'm a storyteller and I want to tell mm-hmm. stories. Um and it's just it's a easily consumable story whereas like, you know, writing um I'm also like I I have to plan. Like I'm more of a planner, but you said with discovery writing, I, I borrow a little bit from discovery writing in that, like, um, I write a backstory for all my characters that end up in my thing. But mm-hmm. that backstory never is in the thing. Mm-hmm. Because I make the character, I'm like, you know, this is this is El Herrera, Elena Herrera. She's, uh, you know, a post-apocalypse mechanic, right? Like, um, she has a light, like, uh, psionic capability... Um, Katie from Firefly. I wrote Katie from Firefly into a like into a Mad Maxian post-apocalypse story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so like, and then I'm like, okay, and then I'm like, well, now I expose her to like the the arc at the beginning, and you know, this this preacher shows up in town, and he's you know talking about like, uh, you know, having his horse, his robot horse fixed or whatever, and then like you go on to find out that like th- there's subtext. What he's talking about is he's essentially trying trying to figure out like he's figured out that she's psychic before she has and so you have this like subtextual conversation and then just exposing and going well i know it's going to end here how do i get there and like that i that's more of my method um mm-hmm. how's i guess how, how like where do you compare on the spectrum the the pantser the 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 um the planner the discovery writer there's also experimental which we won't talk about um mm. <laughs> um gosh well, again, it's like if I'm a, if we're talking about like writing, yeah, right, yeah, I mean, a module or whatever. For well, yeah, the the way I sort of um, and and it's probably a very unscientific method, but the sort of thing I try to think of for the most part is um, making a toy box. Is like kind of the primary thing because, you know, I think we've all been there where we have been really invested in a system. Uh, certain, you know, sometimes maybe a certain Dungeons and Dragons or something, right? Mm-hmm. And we all love Dungeons and Dragons and we've been playing it since 3.5e and you're excited for a new module and you pick it up and you're like, wow, if anything goes off the rails, this book is useless. Um, I can't, I, there's no, and then once we've played it once, it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that to me is not an exciting book. So whenever I'm trying to like write anything like modules or whatever, it's always about providing as many cool opportunities and plot hooks and things for your group to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like trying to make a toy box is what I try to think, but it's a toy box that someone comes along and kicks every five minutes. Mm. So like it's like, spills out. like <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, uh, it's like having things like your, your ticking clocks or whatever mm-hmm. you're like, Here's, here's all these cool things you can do, these awesome things you can do, all these great ideas baked into the system. Uh, but in, in about five hours, um, the, the airship's going to crash. Uh, <laughs> or or this, this attack is going to happen or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like, so it's that sort of strange mix of having an act structure, but still giving people all of these like cool toys and mechanics and, and fun things to play with is... is probably the closest yeah. weird analogy I can think on. 
Yeah. <laughs> so so you do have like the beginning, the middle, and the you know part one, part two, three, the the act structure, right? But then you're yeah, yeah. you're giving props essentially, like to just play with and and like go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, I think um, nowadays especially, um, people are very story literate, mm-hmm. like more story literate than I think um, people give credit for all the time, um, and. A lot of people, especially if you're into like uh, role playing and things like that, you've kind of you've got a feeling for what makes a good story. You know you want your hero to fail at some point because that's what makes a good story. That's your 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 journey into the underworld. You want your characters to be in unusual places, conflict, and have them fail and things yeah. like that, so they can they can emerge with the elixir if you want to really start getting into your your meta commentary. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I've lost my train of thought there. No, no, <laughs> no. You're talking about like um, the stories and um, oh, going with the yeah, yeah. Okay, you got. Sounds like you got your. So thought. yeah, so sort of. We always we still go for like um, an outline, um, and bearing in mind, like disclaimer is I'm not talking from thirty years of writing tabletop RPGs or anything. Um, so anything I say, take with a grain of salt. Because I've only been doing it for like a year with one company primarily. Um, so uh, I don't want people to be taking everything I say as gospel because it's I, not. It's it's your perspective. I think it's a super valid perspective, but it's a perspective from someone who's been had success with it. But like you said kind of a little bit before is like we're a lot more, I guess, ingratiated as like a species with storytelling, I think, than we give ourselves credit for. Um, mm-hmm. Having the... the the wherewithal to go, I wish to tell a story. Like, that's the vocation I choose. I think that's that's worthy. I think that's commendable. Hmm. I mean, it, so, I mean, uh, you're, you're, don't be too humble. I think uh, you, you've done a, you've done some pretty awesome stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I just, I never like to, I never like to toot my own horn, and I always like to acknowledge that even, even writing uh, crash and burn it would be nowhere near as good a module if i didn't have emmett and uh, chris walsh and things like in there because we, we tend to write uh, using like google docs a lot mm. so i'll be like writing the outline or whatever and then emma will come in with like a comment being like oh hey maybe maybe we change this character give them this trait or give them this thing or whatever and that way we can show off this side of the system and things like that I'm like oh that's cool like we'll, we'll change that and stuff like that mm. um like it's it's always it is always a collaborative effort if you are writing a novel and you have full control of the world, and uh, you're you're not going with an agent or a publisher or whatever, and you're just like, okay, I'm going to write this thing 100%. I'm going to self-edit it and push it on uh, Amazon or, or whatever. That's probably the purest form of like auteur writing nowadays. Um, and uh, a lot of that stuff is not very good. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine. I, I've heard. Uh, you know, in in writing, you know, you're only as strong as your editor, right? Like, and editing and writing are kind of two different. They're two different processes. Um, you know, you have the the other the analogy I love to use because I I forgot who told me it initially was uh, I think I believe it was one of my professors. Uh, you're the writers are the tortoise and the hare simultaneously. Um, mm-hmm. The writer is the writer side of your brain is the hare, and the tortoise side is the editor side, and like 
you can't be both at the exact same time. The the hair, the writer should just like blaze through and write the story because you have a story to tell, but then you need to take a break and have the tortoise kind of comb back through it, but never be mm-hmm. both at the same time. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier if someone else can be the tortoise and just dedicate <laughs> themselves to that, and then yeah. you can just blaze through telling your story. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, like, like I, I don't think I've written anything in the past... Yeah, I've probably not written anything in the past like five years that I haven't had somebody uh, look over. Uh, like Sam, uh, like I was mentioning, um, he and I both um, were like sort of like writing partners for that sort of thing. We'll um, if we're if we're writing for like our personal stuff for our fiction and short stories and things. Anytime I write anything, I ping it to Sam mm. and we check it over, and then and then vice versa and stuff because writing in a vacuum is just really. You, you're not challenging yourself as much i think if you have someone else saying like poking at something or poking a plot yeah. hole and being like yeah. hey did you think about this and you're like oh, crap i didn't think about that <laughs> well the, yeah. they, they help you solve a, like they bring up a puzzle for you to solve now they go you know this mm-hmm. doesn't make sense and you're like in your brain by yourself you're like oh it makes total sense and you're like no it doesn't make sense well I'm, i have a b and c but b doesn't make sense now ah and then you you have a problem to solve you want to stay on track with the story you're trying to tell what you've planned mm. out, but now you have to like improv D and D and, and tabletop RPGs and soulbound. You do that in real time. Essentially. I have a great idea yeah. for my story, but then like the players like the Butler did it. And I'm like, the Butler did do it. <laughs> like, or what, you know what? If it sounds like it's a better idea than the one I had. Right. Like I, I have. Uh, so, okay. Pro no? tip for any GMs in the chat, right? The best thing you can possibly do to ensure that a thriller game goes well is make sure you hang out with your players after each session and just listen oh yeah (laughs) because the number of times they will come up with such an amazing thing like oh, i think this i think this person might actually be a changeling because if you look at all these things that add up and stuff and you're like you're sitting there and you look at your plan and you're like no that person was just an npc but I really like that Cross idea. Cross it out, changeling. <laughs> yeah, just quietly sit there in the corner, just like, oh, mm, yeah, maybe they are a changeling. Yeah. Oh, you're so clever. You caught on to that excellent plot point that I thought mm-hmm. I was really subtle about. <laughs> and then everyone's like, oh my God, you're so smart. And I feel so smart for having figured this thing out. And you're like, you guys, you really are smart. You outsmarted me. <laughs> No, uh, but that happens in in writing. Um, I can't imagine uh, writing in a different time period myself. Like the the number of the the weird Google searches I have had to do for stories. Um, I'm like, this would have been like Encyclopedia Britannica, or I would have gone on a literal safari and come back mm-hmm. to learn one thing about this thing that I just like Google these days. Like. Um, but I don't think at any point in time writing was ever truly a, a like a purely solitary thing. Um, I have a very egoist view of writing because I'm an egoist. But I, I think that writing writers tend to want to be read. Um, is that true in your experience? Like, um, yeah, I think so. Even if it's just your friends, writing right. for your friends or yeah. one person or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and like. Uh, spoiler alert, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby doesn't exist without Zelda. Like, Zelda was, by many accounts, like, twice the writer and plot, like, like, plot constructor he was. So, like, that his wife, of course. Um, like, it, like, I, I posit that writers were, were often 
workshopping far more than we realize throughout the like the period except for dickens which is why dickens sucks um so <laughs> sorry just strong fine. words i man. know i know um no, I, English lit major. I have a lot of strong opinions. Like, I actually think Shakespeare is a conglomerate of, of individuals. I don't think Shakespeare was a real, per, like, a real single person. But, yeah, I'm, I'm that, that writer weirdo. Like, I'm just like, I've got it. I have every That's opinion. Fun. I want you to hear them. <laughs> um, but, um, Workshop, workshopping ideas is where the fun is for me. Um, like, uh, Sam has a whiteboard. And I think the thing's probably about I think it's about six foot um, by five or something. It's it's one of these things that you'd see in like a Wall Street uh, like massive market thing in the 80s or whatever. It's enormous. And anytime we're working on a short story or, or a novel or whatever or a plot, it becomes this like um, uh, like just massive like workshopping session. And it, it looks like the, the scribblings of mad people by the time it's done. Um, but it's all there in your head, and you, you've workshopped it. And it's, it's it's like the best experience. It's like Charlie from uh, it's like Charlie from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The gift that always yeah. shows up is like pointing the, the Peppy Sylvia. I was trying not to make the Peppy Sylvia reference because I, I wanted to slam the wall. Peppy Sylvia. <laughs> I look everywhere. There's a pill to pop up. But uh, but yes, it it kind of ends up feeling like that. Um, yeah. But but it's but it's great. Like I, I highly recommend. It. And it's scary at first. I used to, I did used to write um, a lot, um, and uh, I never showed anyone anything because I thought it was all trash. And you're embarrassed, and you don't want to write, um, and you will write a lot of trash, especially in your early days. You'll you'll write lots of cringy things in your teen years that you're glad you didn't show to anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there becomes a point where you really. The best thing for you is just sharing your work and getting feedback from, you, from you, people and stuff. You've got ten thousand bad worded bad words in you. You've got to get them out. Like mm, mm-hmm. the the hardest part of writing, well, there's the two hardest parts of writing: first, having an idea, and second, finishing it. Um, mm. You know, I think first <laughs> that's for me. I don't I don't know about about you, but um, I, I see so many people defeat themselves going into the writing process and I'm like just write it if you've got the idea write it the next hard part is finishing it and then lean on your peer group they don't need to be writers to tell you it's a good story or a good idea or they're going to have a question about like the character that showed up and they're like well why did that character show up and then never again and you're like why do you care about the character that just like they bought bubblegum from like I don't understand and then like you, mm. you start thinking about that and then you go back and well maybe now like Okay, that person who they buy the bubblegum from is still as pointless as before, but now the bubblegum, like, is a color that's relevant, right? Like, you, 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 whatever it is. I, I'm using really bad general, like, tropes, but, um. But, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that was something I remember. I remember. I can't remember where it was, who said it exactly, but it's like, uh, never, never write a story with themes in mind. It's like the themes will emerge on like your second and third draft and you'll start to be like, Oh, okay, cool. I, I see where, I see what the key themes are here and stuff. Mm. Uh, so yeah, totally change the color of the bubble gum yeah. to match your theme as right. it emerges. <laughs> right. Right. Um, that's interesting. I've never, see, I haven't heard that one. Like don't never write with themes in mind. I know that like trying not to be too clever with yourself, I think is like one of the important ones when you're, I think this is a ghost for D and D and, 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 
RPGs and stuff like that too is like try not to be too clever um, because this players will destroy it. <laughs> right? Did did you like have to like clever proof your your module? <laughs> like, um, all, or did you just like whatever? <laughs> like throw caution to the wind. <laughs> it was more trying to sort of because the big challenge with Crash and Burn obviously um, was because it was the first adventure it was kind of like discovering the essence of what a soulbound adventure should feel like. Mm. Like, um, you know, we had certain sort of like touchstones for this is kind of like the power level in your soul bound should be able to like wade into a, a group of these minions and go swinging. And we have like uh, cultural touchstones, like what's oh, kind of like Avengers level sort of threats and all these sorts of ideas. We have these things, but then when you actually get down to, okay, cool. So I need to write an adventure, which factors in the fact that anybody could fly at any time because there are archetypes that have flight. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be healing. There might not be healing. Uh, there could be uh, people who can nuke an entire area with a fireball. There, there might be people who shoot a bow. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's trying to, on, on that first adventure especially, trying to make essentially kind of like a, a checklist of, of key things to remember, especially when you're designing combat encounters and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually ended up turning sort of my list that I had used into a blog post for Cubicle 7 a couple of weeks back, which is just like, here's some tips on encounter design. And that was like the stickies that I had essentially translated into blog form. I was just like, okay, cool. You know, keep some timers in mind and, and things like this. And uh, so if you want a, another peek into the madness of, of my writing mind, you can always... Check that one out on the Cubicle Seven website. <laughs> you'll you'll have to uh, yeah. All right, I'll I'll have to get some links in the in the in this video um, for folks to to go ahead and track down. Um, do you keep post? I have a just a question. Do you keep post-it notes like littered all over your office when you're writing? There's a cleanup phase about once every week or so. Um, <laughs> the real problem comes when uh, post-it notes get mixed up with to-do lists, uh, or they become half and half. So I write a very important note that I need to remember uh, after eggs, um, on like the grocery list or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. Eggs, bread. Okay. Make sure to check out this module and how this stat thing is, blah, 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 blah. And then, <laughs> and then I'm standing in the supermarket, like, why do I need, I can't find a Caradron overlord airship in here. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's true. <laughs> yeah. um, oh man! Yes, I'm. I'm. I am not the most organized when it comes to my notes, unfortunately. But I was a producer, and still I'm a producer. So uh, that's uh, so. So long as the things eventually work out well, as long as it works out live, that's that's fine by me. I talk about like uh, I'm going to show the camera real quick. Like I, my notes are chaos they're pure chaos um mm-hmm. and it, it feels like da vinci's journal like no one i've talked about like robert jordan's wheel of time before and how brandon Sa- uh, sanderson finished it like no one would be able to finish my uh, i've got a novel i've been working on for a few years now i'm like no one would be able to finish this they're, they're gonna look at my notes i've got text documents on my thing that says dialogue chapter 99 and chapter 99 doesn't exist it's just letting me know that when i get really deep into my book i want that dialogue scene like <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah for sure for sure but hey it, it works sometimes right it's fine. <laughs> it does it does so with with your module then i mean you would have had to write like the npcs that people are going to be act, like interacting with i mean mm-hmm. the, I, i'd imagine that that well i guess if 
uh, how much do you value character in your like characters in your general writing? You know, people, character, plot, setting, right? Those are kind of the three generals. Uh, how much do you value characters in your own personal writing, and how much did you find that you got to play with that or really emphasized in modules? Or in the module, I should say. You're asking the good questions because I've. It's like it's not often. You know, you say you wear different hats. It's not often I have to put two hats on at the same time and figure out uh, where the conflicts are. Um, so for person, for Sorry. personal writing, I'm like a hundred percent character driven. Um, like I write a lot of science fiction and fantasy, but I'm. I try not to keep things too hard, sci-fi or fantasy. Um, because for me, like I'm, I'm interested in characters and character interactions and relations. And sure, maybe one of your characters really does need to disable the warp core before it breaches and things like that. But it doesn't mean that they can't be talking about the relationship while they do it. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, as for uh, the for modules and stuff again it's kind of it feels more like um like designing like a very beloved toy again or maybe like some kind of odd effigy or voodoo creation um <laughs> but uh, again you're sort of like you're creating this character and you're the thing i always like to try and do is you know you just, you want your characters to have goals and um, sort of like outward mannerisms and like some physical descriptors and things like that um, but you always want those things to be kind of flexible because they've got to react to the players mm -hmm. all the time um, and also how the GM because you're kind of like um, you're handing a character off to someone else yeah. whenever you're writing any character in any module right. um, and you have no way of controlling what they do with your character and trying to control what they do with your character is a terrible idea because the tighter you try to put those grips on the, the more restrained that character will be mm -hmm. um so it's like you want to give the character like an essence you want to give them goals and desires and things but then let them let the gms breathe and like feel out the characters and play the characters as they want to um and and then sometimes uh sometimes like the the ip owners or whatever will be like oh, i actually can't use that character Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, cross, cross the entire character off. Like. <laughs> very, very rare so far, but but it's 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 happened. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you're kind of painting the picture in broad strokes so that the GMs can can fill it in. You want to have enough structure and framework to where like your message or story or you know, tropes or or themes can get across. But then that that a GM can pick this up and like really make it work for them. Uh, they can do the voice that they hear. They they imagine while they read your character, right? Mm -hmm. like, exactly. Like and uh, uh, the example I like to use is um, I started a Curse of Strad game um, a while ago. This was about a year ago, and then lockdown hit. So the the five the five E Curse of Strad, right? Yeah. The the five E Curse of Strad, yeah. Um, so I started running that. Um, and I read through the module and I'm like, this is, this has got a lot of really good stuff in it, but a lot of stuff that I really don't like. <laughs> um, so I had to, uh, rip out a lot of the, the Vistani things like that and change that and make that, make them more actual characters, mm -hmm. uh, rather than caricatures, um, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, uh, I changed Strad a lot, um, in terms of like their motivations and um, because it was sort of a different story i wanted to tell and mm -hmm. um, then what was out of the box 
Um, and luckily enough, like it's easy for um, someone who has been GMing for a very long time uh, to like repurpose characters and 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 things like that. Um, but for somebody who is potentially quite new to GMing, the last thing I would ever want is for someone to be forced to GM a character that makes them uncomfortable or they don't really know what to do with or they don't connect with. Like you, there should always be a bit of that wiggle room in my head. Well, th this comes back to kind of what I was saying. I think this is the pre-show um, with like playing with the dials of like newer GMs and newer players don't know that they can just change whatever they feel like. They don't know mm. that yet because I, for whatever reason, there's just this like worry that you're going to break the module if you change Strahd, right? Like, I'm going to break it if Strahd has different motivations now. Like, no, you, like, but you, you have to know that kind of, you, you have to, like, grow into that comfort zone, I think, as a player a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And writing a module that, like, bakes some of that in and says, like, hey, you know, change it if you want to. Uh, Shoutouts to Monica and, and, and uh, the bonus experience <laughs> podcast. That's like one of their <laughs> catch lines. But yeah, you can you can change like the stuff and, and empowering the players and the GMs to do that, I think is really an important part of this sort of like robust um, shared storytelling experience that is an RPG. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because that's, that's always just the thing you got to keep in mind is it's, it's, it's not, it's your story but it's not your story. It's your story right up until the moment where you hit enter and then it becomes something else. Mm. Like once that, once it's published, once it's out there, your story is going to be interpreted in a million different ways. I was on the, uh, the discord uh, the Soulbound discord the other day there. Um, and I love hanging around the, the GM section because it's obviously people who are talking about like running the modules. Um, and some of the ideas they come up with are great. And people are like, Oh, you know what? I think I might want, I think I might take this, uh, this antagonist you wrote, um, and I wrote them to be kind of like, okay, cool, by the end of the session, this antagonist is probably defeated. Um, but uh, they're like, you know what, I, I want to tie this antagonist into the origins of one of my player characters because their player character can be tied in here. So then I want this antagonist to survive and become a recurring nemesis villain and things like that. And that's taking it and just like, absolutely running with it and and i love that and that's the kind of thing that you cannot plan for but you should always hope for you should hope that people take your module and they don't run it perfectly because they get inspired and they start telling their own stories because that's what it is it's all collaborative storytelling it's not about slamming down the railroad tracks and saying you will you will turn left here and you will kill this thing here and you mm -hmm. will go now um, it's about making these toy boxes and these sandboxes or however you want to sort of describe it and letting people make their own stories see, in, I, in my head. See, I, I feel like older module writing really did, like, obey the tracks. Um, maybe this is a change. Even, even, like, you mentioned Curse of Strahd, that feels a little bit, um, like, kind of like the classic, more railroady. you know, if the party asks about this, then this happens. And, like, those sort of modules... Um, you sound like you were very like sort of cognizant, very aware of of writing more of the sandbox style. Like, yeah, you know, A, B, C, like you know, Act One, Two, Three. But like, hey, like, why don't you take the scenic route? <laughs> it sounds mm. like you were aware of that. Um, yeah, I think like um, it just kind of comes down to I'm I'm, I'm twigging onto like a, a a sort of idea here. But I guess maybe when you're 
it's the difference between uh, writing character arcs and writing sort of like a bit of like the world building mm-hmm. and things like that and these plot hooks and ideas because if you're if your world your your world should ideally be able to deal with if people turn right instead of left yes ideally right um, sure turning right might lead them right off a cliff but that's that cliff is there if they want to run off of it um, like so yeah. I, I find it interesting you brought you mentioned Curse of Strahd, um, like because Curse of Strahd in in five e and and I I as I've played like RPGs a long time I've played a lot of RPGs different uh, genres and and mm-hmm. companies, um, I don't think five e is particularly lethal as a system I I don't think Soulbound is either uh they probably shouldn't be honestly RPGs you're meant to get to the end of the story unless mm-hmm. the shtick is like in Shadowrun like every adventure is like a self contained run and you could die but like you i want to be with my characters long term you know like i want mm-hmm. to play my character and i want as a gm i want to tell this party a story and if i kill all their characters then what hook do they have to that original what connection do they have to that original story um but strad has been uh by many measures considered to be one of the more lethal uh, of the modules to come out in fifth ed mm-hmm. um how do you rate your your module on like the lethality? You're the you're kind of the first module. This is the module that is going to like introduce like I for better for good or ill or better or worse. Like I you you you're I mean Emmett was talking about kind of like the, this is the first Soulbound RPG. This is the first module that people will gain experience. I see your eyes widening. You're just like <laughs> trying not to think about that too much. <laughs> trying to think about that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm. Um. um. Yeah, well, the thing that I... It's always to do with theme and and things like that and tone. Um, and again, I, I touched on this in one of the, the blog posts where I spoke about um, writing adventures, but it's a general tenant that I try to think of specifically for Soulbound. Mm-hmm. I do like my gritty systems, but for Soulbound, to me, I look at it in the same way that I look at your your superheroes and specifically I use Superman as a touchstone. And I know poor Superman has got a lot of flack recently because some of those movies, they're not great. But, but Superman at his core is still a great character. Oh, he's about hope. It, it's yeah. at the core, the and best of humanity. That's There's a good yeah. message there. Um, continue, I didn't mean to cut you. I'm just no, no, no. agreeing with um, you saying it differently, but continue. The thing for me that always kind of struck me, and it was when I was starting to learn, I was starting to think more critically about stories. Um, and when I was going through my my edgy teen phage, um, I was like, well, Superman is terrible because he never loses. Mm-hmm. You know? um, Superman never gets, he never loses the fist fight. And in my, in my adolescent brain, I was like, well, that makes a bad character because he's always going to win. But that I missed the point. That's not the point of Superman. It's about the losses. It's about the people he's supposed to be protecting. Superman is nothing if he's not protecting Metropolis. And to me, that's kind of like the soulbound. In terms of the lethality of the system, it's not about are your soulbound going to die? It's about what is the cost? If your soulbound are not going to die, the people who are there protecting might die. And that's why the doom system and stuff is so great in soulbound. Because to me, that almost feels more like a health bar than toughness. Because if your soulbound, 
you know, your your Stormcast Eternal can literally die and be fine. They're going to reforge. Maybe they'll lose some memories. It'll take them a while, but they can't die. So what is your true lost state? And that lost state is the things they're protecting, the things they're fighting for, dying, being defeated, being corrupted, and things like that. I mean, that's why for, again, without spoilers, for the vast majority of Crash and Burn, you are literally given a group of people who are dependent on you for their survival. And most of the encounters threaten the survivors, not you necessarily. It's about you protecting them. Um, because to me, that's one of like the, the core hopes in Soulbound is that you are heroes and heroes are nothing if they're not protecting people. If they're not protecting people, they're just kind of fighting for personal gain. <laughs> um, well, that's why I think it's, as a system, I think it's important that the loot aspect of it is disconnected from the merits. Mm. Like, you're it, you're not, you like, a Stormcast starts out with the best equipment. Uh, like, Karadran Overlord pretty much starts out with the best equipment. This notion of, like, loot as a reward. Like, no, you already mm -hmm. got the loot. The reward is in the story side of things, diffusing the doom, like, being heroic. I love that you brought up Superman. Um, I... I personally had my edgy teen phase phase and hated superman as well and i didn't yeah. same reasons exact same thing you're talking about like i'm, I'm just like yep yep 100 as i got older and it, i mean we're talking it's very recent in my lifespan as a like comic book nerd and nerd in general that i've been like i really like superman because like what i liked about superman is like superman's losses don't come in fistfights like superman's dad uh, you know, um, uh, Papa Kent, I'm blanking on his first name, dies of cancer. Nothing, Superman can't fist fight a thing to stop him from dying from cancer. Like, all the protection and powers in the world. Like, uh, Earth 2, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, uh, wrote, was writing Earth 2 Superman, and, uh, like, the first thing, the first issue, he does something along the lines where he says, like, I'm not gonna get invested in politics, I'm not going to, like, fight wars. I'm just going to stop natural disasters and save people and protect people. And so, of course, the hook is that, like, he ends up, ends up having to get entrenched in that other stuff. But he starts out just, like, stopping speeding trains and trying to be a hero apolitically. And, like, his neighbor, who is this, like, meth junkie, ends up, like, dying on the steps. And it's, like, it's telling this really interesting story of, like, compassion, you know the big struggle, the fantastical struggle versus the human struggle. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of like the magic of what Soulbound's allowing us to do. From a tabletop, I love Warhammer, but we don't get that, like, the straight humanity aspect, the that, mm -hmm. like, close, that zoom, that close-up shot, the way that mm -hmm. we do with Soulbound. And I think you're already showing that you're playing a little bit with that, with uh, your story that you told, so. Yeah, well, I think that's um, the, the war game... Um, is a war game it's it gets that's the theme of that you know it's and it's not that the war game is any worse for it or or that soulbound is any better for having these different themes it's just these are the things that the game does well for the war game you are epic epic battles like clashing across the battlefield and the civilians are they're gone they're evacuated somewhere far away if there are any or or whatever that's not the problem right now the problem is you know, we have to take that hill <laughs> right. and things like that. Um, and it's, 
you know, obviously those games don't necessarily, although there is quite a lot of narrative play nowadays uh, with Soul, um, not Soul, uh, Age of Sigmar and stuff, about yeah, yeah. campaigns and things. Um, but it's all just about theme. It's about what it does. Um, but I think in, in tabletop games, especially, it's it's a lot of games put characters, uh, put players into the shoes of characters who are kind of essentially mercenaries. You know, there's the, there's the murder hobo yeah, uh, yeah. meme that people term. It's like, why why are we doing this? It's like, oh, go kill the orcs because gold. Okay, cool. What did we get? I got a sword. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, and and people have been programmed for that. And and again, you can tell great stories with that. Just look at uh, The Witcher. I absolutely adore The Witcher books, the games, and things like that. And they are a hundred percent. They're straight laced. Geralt is a person who kills monsters for money. Um, and then morals get involved. Sometimes. But they play, yeah, they play with that so much, though. That's the whole thing. Is he just wants exactly. to kill monsters for money? Like that's all yeah. Geralt wants to do. He just wants to get paid. Um, but then, but then he doesn't actually really just want to get paid. He does want to be a hero, but no one wants him to be a hero, except the one person on occasion who wants him to be a hero, and then he's going to let that person down. <laughs> um, and that's great. That's like again, it's it's what are the themes? What are the things you're trying to tell with, and, and not just campaigns, but with actual systems and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, with with your soulbound, you have that with something Vampire the Masquerade or whatever. You're looking at completely different themes. Um, you're looking at completely different goals of what that system's strength is because it's built into the mechanics. Ideally, ideally. Yeah, Not all systems do, but in an ideal world, your systems should also kind of help your your themes. Reinforce your theme, reinforce your premise. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting. So when I am um, talking about writing, um, I usually start with quote unquote start with a premise. You know, like this is my idea. This is the thing I want to. This is the premise, and then everything I do is going to come back to my premise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran a two year long D and D five e game. Uh, the premise was victory through sacrifice. Is like if you put it in there, and so like. I didn't fully codify that throughout every aspect of the game that I the way that I would have with a, like a novel, right? Where I'd be like, "Oh yeah, this chapter I have to say something about this premise." Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that the characters began to like conform accidentally to my premise on their like on their own. Like the, the player, I never messed with the player agency. Uh, I did steal. I did steal Tess's shadow. Uh, sorry, Katie. Um, but <laughs> but like she was a rogue. I thought it was like we 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 had a lot of laughs about her. Not a rogue that doesn't have a shadow and so like is standing behind you and like you you can't see the shadow in front. Of, like <laughs> like oh, ultimate okay. stealth. Um, uh, sorry, Katie. <laughs> Love you. Um, but like uh, like so like Katie's great struggle. Tess's great struggle was like the sacrifice she kept continually making was her humanity. Because she was the mm. human char- sacrifice humanity, you know. Uh, one of the characters got erased from history. Uh, one of the NPCs on accident. I I didn't like. I don't kill the NPCs to make a statement. Okay, like I that's dumb. But like dice do dice, right? And when the mm-hmm. character died, they died in some place uh, stolen from Magic: The Gathering, the Blind Eternities. I'm like, oh yeah, the Blind Eternities is like the place in between all the elements, or all the uh, elemental planes and stuff. It's like the icing on the layer cake that is the, uh, when they died, they began to get erased from the timeline and everyone's memories of them. I'm like, so this character sacrificed their legacy, another character sacrificed their, like, self-sacrifice, another one had a big conflict with sacrificing friends. Not literally, but friendship, 
becoming sort of mm-hmm. like inhuman or not inhuman but like friendships and rela- sacrifice of relationships and like playing with these di- different themes and the conflicts that emerged from all of that we had this really robust it's the best game I've ran I've GM about 26 years now and the best parts of it were all accidental mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um and so, like, I, I mean, you're you're telling a, a module, so you're introducing them to themes, right? And then you're you're kind of setting a tone for these themes that people interact with, and almost like um, uh, like imprint have imprinted on them as they play. D- mm. You said early on that you don't write with the theme in mind, but well, did you write with a the theme in mind? <laughs> um, that was different. Obviously, because okay. um, for when I say don't write for a theme in mind, it's kind of like um, it's more just that you, if you're writing a personal thing, if you're writing like a short story or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, if you go in there being like, I am going to make this short story about um, the, the sacrifices of motherhood, you're like, okay, that's a really cool theme, um, and you can keep it in mind, but don't make every second sentence be about the sacrifice of motherhood. <laughs> in my mind, it should still be a character-driven piece that has character moments and, and things like that. Um, with uh, when I yeah, with like uh, with Soulbound or with a module or or whatever, um, if you're working with like themes and stuff, they're they're they are good. Your touchstones um, or uh, what's the term? One of my writer friends uses cookies is the term they use, mm. um, and it's like uh, when you're uh, and and kind of like what you were saying with your campaign, you go in with your sort of mission statement. Um, you have like even if it's just a bullet pointed list of these are uh, the sort of the emotional resonance or the themes or the concepts we want to get across Mm -hmm. and then every time you're writing a scene or uh, like an encounter or something as we were doing with them crash and burn and stuff I'm always like trying to refer back to my list of like what are what are the things that make this a soulbound adventure because um, you know, uh, you know, I could I could sit down and write uh, like ten back to back fantasy adventures, kind of like generic D and D. Okay, you show up and uh, there's goblins. They're in the mine somewhere. Go kill them, please. And then you write a dungeon, and it's done. Yep. Uh, but that wouldn't be a soulbound adventure. So you always want to have these like they're, they're kind of like. The, the cookies, as we call you, always go back to the cookie jar to remind you mm-hmm. uh, what you're supposed to be doing and why you're excited for this setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's for, for me, the tough point right now is switching between like Wrath and Glory and Soulbound and Wrath and Glory and Soulbound. Very different vibes, very different sort of uh, themes and stuff. Yeah, so Wrath and Glory is going to be a lot more dour, gritty, right? Like... Mm-hmm. I, I per, I'm saying from someone who's read about, I haven't played I'm not certainly not as familiar with that as Soulbound um, mm. but yeah First. you're talking about switching that's gonna be its yeah. own challenge like actually like how do you switch gears between you know I mean you're, we talked about spinning plates and burning the candle at all the ends <laughs> how do yeah. you switch gears like how do you how do you go from like okay now I gotta work on this super cute awesome board game that like I'm helping design <laughs> to like uh, okay like yeah I can switch gears to like you know Superman and Wonder Woman team up to like save the world uh, soulbound like and then now I have to switch to like rather and like you're switching between the different things like obviously prior life is going to have a way of helping you prioritize the stuff based on you know what's due first and so on and so forth but but how do you change gears how do you go between them 
uh, caffeine and power naps are, are very good. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an enormous advocate. I'm very lucky because I work remotely for all of my work. Um, even the nine to five and stuff, it's remote. So I work from home. Um, and the amount of freedom and stuff I can get there is, is incredible because if I do need to change gears and I find that I'm struggling, um, I'm normally tired because I'm working X jobs. Uh, so the, the greatest way for me to reset my brain is literally power nap, which is you have some form of caffeine, a coffee, an energy drink or whatever. It takes on average about 30 minutes to for your body to metabolize caffeine. So you, you drink a, you drink a caffeine beverage chill out on the sofa, set a timer for 30 minutes, and you'll wake up. Bing, you're awake. The caffeine's just hit, and you're ready to rock. And your your brain, it's like a clean slate, and you can just be like, okay, what am I thinking about? Cool, adventure mark, cute things. Right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> um, that's like my my silver bullet, my secret for, for if I really do need to switch gears. I'm um, stealing that forever. <laughs> I That's amazing. It's not necessarily viable, but I did used to have naps back even when I worked in the video games industry studio. We had nice, nice breakout area, and I was, I think I was, it was about like 300 people in that company at its height, and I was the only one who would do power naps. Mm. But I got shit done, so. <laughs> humble brag. <laughs> humble brag, humble brag. Humble brag for power naps. Everyone should have more naps, damn it. We're all exhausted constantly. Just let yourself have a 30-minute nap. You'll feel better. Do you find yourself immersing yourself in other art? Like, uh, one of the questions I see or hear uh, for writers and GMs and the like, any, any creative really, is like, uh, I'm thinking about painting this model. Like, uh, I don't know what to do with it. Like, I want to do this, I think. I want to do that. Do you ever find yourself, like, the advice I often give is, like, fill up on inspiration then? Like, you need to, mm. like, do stuff to, like, be inspired. Do you find yourself filling up on inspiration? What might that look like? What might that mean? Um, to you. Yeah. Right, because yeah. it means something to me. Um, For me, it's just about um, having, like, a, a wide range of different things to enjoy. Um, like, uh, I'm sure it might... Uh, it, it might shock some people to hear, but I haven't, I've only read a couple of short stories. Like I know there's a lot of great stuff coming out of Black Library right now, um, but I personally have only read a handful of Age of Sigmar uh, fiction and stuff because if I was to try and keep up with all of the, the Black Library content and stuff, I would be solely reading Black Library content and stuff. Um, but when I'm also trying to write uh, stuff set in like Warhammer IPs, to me, it feels like there's more value in reading thing, other things, other because otherwise you're just going to end up in this recursive loop of the only things I'm taking in are um, stories set in this world. So the only things I can sort of put out are derivatives of things that have already been created by other people and probably better than what I can do. So I always like to, you know, mix up what I'm watching or playing or reading like yeah i don't think there's a i don't think there's a, a form of weird nerd media that i don't partake in right now like i'll watch <laughs> anime i'll read manga comics video games um uh, television like it's i just i keep a keep a wide range and i've i've um cultivated a very fine social net right now so i'm like okay cool right okay I need a good anime recommendation. I'm gonna go tap Fabian over here. He's he he's hot on his anime and be like, "All right, 
what's the best anime that's come out in the last year? And it'd be like, boom, boom, boom. Here's your list. Great, cool. Okay, I need some good auteur filmmaking. Sam, hit me up. What you got? What happened at Sundance? And he's like, okay, here's a list. And I'm like, okay, great. Do, do, do. Knock it out and things like that. And just like expose yourself to as wide a range as possible and the ideas that you'll... It's just it keeps your brain always stirring in my head. Well, I, I love that you mentioned like like if you only read black library material and you're going to write you know wrath and glory you're only making these derivatives like i think of two things one nutrition right like good stuff in good stuff out like you gotta like the creative mind is is the hungriest mind of any like you gotta consume you gotta consume like inspiration um Mm -hmm. and and uh the other one is a train of thought i lost hang on (laughs) um the uh but uh I just find it interesting that um, you mentioned like anime and all these other things. Uh, Stephen King, I, I got the train back. We're good. Uh, Stephen King said, um, you know, like if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Is one of the things I go to Stephen King a lot. I like him, the writer, better than I like the stories. If that makes sense. Like, uh, no, maybe I got it flipped. I, I like he knows writing very well. But then sometimes he breaks his own rules of, like, understanding writing and, like, you know, he, he doesn't believe in, like, frivolous description. All right, I just read a page of frivolous description, Stephen King. You just lied to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> but one of his bits of advice is, um, is like, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to, to write. And I, I've kind of distilled that into a slightly different meaning from when he wrote that back in the 80s or when, whenever he wrote that. Um, it's – we live in a multimedia age. And I feel like if you don't have time to consume media, you don't have time to create media. Or, or mm-hmm. rather, in, you, if you can't seek out inspiration for media, then you're gonna those tanks are gonna run dry. If all you're doing is constantly creating, you're going to run dry. You have to like, I mean, even on the mental health side of things, like you have to give yourself mental health breaks, right? That yeah, for sure. And again, it's like um, the other thing is sort of just trying to keep in touch with um like the zeitgeist of the moment and mm. um, one of the primary reasons i'll go and uh watch a lot of like marvel movies is because everyone watches the marvel movies like they're there um you you gotta you gotta know what's out in the world anytime um, otherwise you're gonna get left behind you're you're gonna your ideas are gonna become stale and stuff because other people are, are moving on um, and that can feel a bit like FOMO, like fear of missing out stuff. Um, but I just think from a creative standpoint, you should really keep keep reading, read new things. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, Lord of the Rings is is amazing, but it was written like 70 years ago now, maybe? How long are we talking? When was Lord of the Rings written? World War II, um, right? Like yeah. 50s? So 70, yeah. There yeah. you go. Um and and but we're in such like this constant like media creation right now that there are utterly incredible novels being written right now um like go read those don't read lord of the rings again for the third time <laughs> this is where like I, i'd pause it like um you know like consume different media from different places go outside of your comfort mm-hmm. zone um you know the you know read you know minority and marginalized people's art by the way like you just should we're we're a more integrated multicultural this is one of the greatest things about humanity is being able to share culture you talk about anime like 
go watch an anime. Like, just see what J- Japan's doing, right? Like, uh, there was a time when all of our 80s stuff was, it's going to be New Yen and Japan's taking over the world, right? Like, <laughs> mm. there's there's a reason we had those stereotypes, and that stereotype it might be damaging, but, like, why did we think, consume some of their art, see what it's about? Like, comic books, mm. the, the, the relationship between, you know, Rocket Boy and the uh, American occupation uh, troops in post-World War II with their superman comics like that shared uh, cross media helped make manga and by extension anime but it shares this thread back to ukiyo-e paintings like japan was primed to read comic books because they had ukiyo-e paintings and the american soldiers come over with uh you know these superman comics and um and then like suddenly or Astro Boy, I'm sorry, I call him Rocket Boy. Oh my God, um, I'm not. This is why we have the not a weeb meme in my uh, in my chat, by the way. <laughs> not, is that a meme? <laughs> yeah, it's a, not a weeb is one of the emojis. It's me with like Goku hair, um, <laughs> powering up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but yeah, like um, yeah, so like the Astro Boy and and like that that whole thing, and then the creator of Astro Boy himself was very heavily influenced by German film. Um, he actually like studied film in Germany and like the emerging film. Like, so it's like, that's why, you know, the American comic book would usually show the action. So Superman punches the robot, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like, Superman has punched the robot. Well, like, the creator of Astro Boy is like, why don't we show Superman winding up the fist and the follow through with the punch? And like, why don't we show the whole action because of the cinema influence? And like, consuming art from all around, like, cultures and stuff like that, it just just makes for better art. The world Mm -hmm. is a better place when we all like. Yeah, there's my uh, soapbox for a moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it's like uh, you know what they say. They say travel broadens the mind, right? Right. It's just traveling with your your media. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like I know for a fact, I've been shamelessly rip- ripping off Kurosawa films in all my campaigns forever. <laughs> I'm just like this. The Soulbound campaign, since none of my Soulbound players are here, it's just Cowboy Bebop, except set in Soulbound. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. The Caradron iconoclast. Um, Bebop. Yeah. Yeah, they're about to. They just met the. Uh, they met the. Uh, the the alleged pirate, uh, who's going to essentially gift them the uh, the cowboy Bebop, or in this case, it's called the Devil Cashmere. Uh, at some point over the course of the campaign, so they're going to get an airship to go around and like instead of like straight up being you know cowboys or bounty hunters, it's going to be you know superheroes, but. It's the same rough structure. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny you say that. Like, one of the best campaigns I feel like I've ever ran was essentially uh, a D&D version of Lost. <laughs> um, which was just, you know, people on an airship. Uh, no, well, that one wasn't an airship. That one was a boat. <laughs> Sensing um, a theme with airships and boats here. <laughs> my players have said this. I have, I have ran... I think three or four, I can't quite remember, airship crashes over the last like however many years. Because I love me a good airship crash. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I genuinely think it's because of Lost. Because I love that show so much and that like the the pilot with the plane crashing and all the crazy things happening and people... um, One of the things I always recommend with any new GM, uh, with any new group is trying to have morale-defining moments within your first session. 
So you want to give people meaningful choices very quickly that are snap decisions and have those um, moments meaningful. So in this Lost-esque game that I ran, um, we had this this boat sinking um, and uh, we had people suddenly having to make decisions of who do I rescue? Um, and uh, we had like our our lawful evil person uh, making a decision where, oh, well, this person's probably going to die anyway, but they do have some good stuff. So I'm just going to shuffle them off a little bit early and take their stuff. But then little did they know, or well, I say little did they know, this person's friend saw that happen and then that came back to bite them in the butt later on. Mm-hmm. But by doing those like... Um, Moral decisions Those early. crisis, yeah. Yeah. Crisis moral decisions very early can be very uh, informative for both the GM and the players to let you know what kind of characters you're dealing with, what kind of players you're dealing with. And you know what? A good old-fashioned airship gives you a lot of those opportunities. <laughs> so I keep running airship crashes, <laughs> but I've officially published one now, so I'm not allowed to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic that you're... Um, like, it comes back to Lost. I mean, steal like an artist, right? Like, just great artists... Like, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Like, we've been telling... Uh, the same. We've been telling each other stories for thousands upon thousands of years as as a species. You know, we love stories. We're our brain is wired to consume them. This goes back to one of the points you made earlier, where like we're just we're woke to stories. We love them, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's okay to like to like borrow like from media and 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 repurpose it. Put your personality into it. Uh, put your spin on it and then just like get across your themes or your premises you know Mm. my even though i'm shamelessly ripping off cowboy bebop shamelessly i my uh the the front of my i don't have my uh soulbound notebook here i'm running it later tonight no it's right here uh it says soulbound and then in quotation marks soulbound bebop like literally (laughs) written on it that's my my adventure journal um like it's it's but if I do that and I run that, it's gonna look a lot different from like if you ran that. If you start with I'm gonna run the Cowboy Bebop, I suspect I suspect that the Cowboy Bebop would crash at some point. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel uh, like the Cowboy Bebop crashed at one point. Yeah, they crashed in the desert. They crashed in the desert. That was the the Ed and Ayn Mushroom episode, right? I think so. They ran it, out of fuel. Yeah. Well, they run the constant. They're they're spiritually crashing often because they're always running oh. out of fuel or food. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, but I think that's a very good point. Like, and I've had a couple of times running games in the past. Well, there's like a couple of reasons. First of all, it's, if you need to quickly come up with a campaign idea, there's nothing wrong with with just being like, okay, that was a very cool narrative. I'm going to play that out because the players' actions will always change how yes. it works. Yep. And even if one of your players comes to you and says, "Hey, are you just ripping off Cowboy Bebop?" I guarantee you, if you're just like yeah, a little bit. They'll be like, awesome. Because who doesn't want to play? Who doesn't want to be a member of the Bebop? Am I right? If you're picking a right. cool thing that you're basing your campaign on, right? you know, it's, you know, freaking Star Wars is just um, uh, Hidden Fortress? Forbidden yeah, Fortress. Hidden Fortress, Kurosawa. Yeah. Hidden Fortress. Yeah, exactly. Of course, Kurosawa. You, yeah. you know, Star Wars is just that. And if someone was to, if you were to turn around and say to someone like, okay, cool, right, so we're going to run uh, Edge of the Empire, I think. Is that a good one? I think that was that the last 
Star Wars system in my head. I can't oh, remember. I can't. I was, was just talking to, to someone the other day about the D6 one from like the the like 80s or whatever. And mm. I, I couldn't. That was the West End or West Bend was that one. I, I can't remember the new one, though. Mm. I, I'm mm. I love yeah, like you're, you're you're kind of like your standard monomyth stories like people still love them people still want to play in them as characters and stuff so i've never had somebody come to me and say is this is this based off of this thing and then you say yes and i'm going that's lame <laughs> never had that before well, i was uh so uh interestingly enough for like uh fifth edition i was i was in some of the, like the play test groups um and the gm running it uh was essentially just running Ma- the mass effect plot and it took oh. me one of my f- absolute favorite games is Mass Effect Two. Uh, I'm I can't wait for them to finish the series and finally release Mass Effect Three because certainly it'll be the best and not terrible. Um, <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, but Mass Effect Two, and it took me a person who was an avid Mass Effect fan. It took me like until level six to realize they were just running Mass Effect reskinned, and I'm like, because players change it. They'll mm-hmm. they will change whatever plot points or beats you're you're borrowing from whatever NPC you've reskinned as like a uh, a warforged you know like they will because war there was a warforged that was basically just Garrus and it like it took me a little bit to be like that's just Garrus. <laughs> like, some point he's like I'm gonna go uh, I've got to go recalibrate some things and you're like hold up a minute yeah well, it's, like the good GM won't make it obvious by saying calibrations and you're like mm-hmm. calibrations and you're just like. <laughs> shoot back in your chair but like yeah this was like it really was there was a monolith there was a a a pillar or what was it It was an obelisk instead of the monolith and i'm like i can't believe i missed that it was a boat instead of a spaceship i'm like wow but i mean that's the thing is like when you're in the moment you're just you know as a player we kind of go back to like the players like you're almost like especially with my gm brain i'm almost like over analyzing being a player in the moment mm-hmm. like well why would the gm do that or like they're trying to kill me here certainly that's a trap if i go down that corridor because why would they mention it if it's not a trap and like the person with the eye patches the bar clearly has something going on and i like i just i had no name for the person and i just recently watched dodgeball and i remembered patchy or patches Hand, and so i gave the character an eye patch like you know like <laughs> Uh, the patch meant nothing. Dodge a wrench, <laughs> right? Dodge right, a ball, right? 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 And then you're like, well, but the but then the player brain's like, like, but then why did they have an eye patch? Something happened with this to give them the eye patch, you know? Like, and the GM's like, I just needed descriptions. I borrowed from my brain. Um, so like the players, I I I think that that's part of the magic of the storytelling is where we really are just like you're kind of like putting your, especially in the the player. GM relationship, you're kind of like going like, you know, here's a story, and then you're going like, this is the part of the story I'm going to like, and you're just kind of like, kind of giving each other these threads back and forth and playing, it. like, it's just, it's this very, I just love RPGs for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and with mm-hmm. your module, you've started to receive some of the, like, the Twitter feedback and stuff like that, um, or maybe you've been blocking it, I don't know, like. No, no, I read, I read everything. You read um, everything. In, in the discords and on Twitter and stuff. If anybody asks me to be like, oh, I'm running Crash and Burn and stuff, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, oh, people are running it. I hope it doesn't break. <laughs> I 
I, uh, full disclosure, I haven't run it yet, but I plan on, uh, bringing back my monthly one-shots for the, for chat gang here in a little bit, so I'll, it'll be a thing that I run, like, once a, like, once a month for a couple months, so, like, mm -hmm. multiple people get to play through it, um, and I'm looking forward to that, because I know for a fact it's gonna go different all three times, as long as I have different players. Excellent. Even the ones who have, like, watched the stream and then they play the game, I know it's gonna go different. Mm -hmm. That's uh, great. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Um, um, so, let me see, my notes became pure chaos here. Um, so you, um, when you, you wrote descriptions, like we, we mentioned, just kind of reset real quick. I'm sitting here with, uh, with Elaine, uh, uh, Lithgow. Um, I got it right. Yeah. Yep. You did. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Um, I, I put the accent under the O, uh, <laughs> writer hacks. Um, you actually like got to write a lot of the monsters in the bestiary. Did you have a monster that you just loved writing? Like when you got to the description, because you you got to live by your word count, right? You you mm -hmm. probably got directives. Hey, you know, four hundred words here, five hundred words there. Here's my layout. That I'm, I'd imagine mm -hmm. that's what it was like. Yeah. Maybe I was wrong. I um I think I said to N at one point that uh, writing the bestiary felt a lot like uh, for for people who are are regular Twitter users. You know when you have a character limit. And you're trying to say a lot, but you have a very tight character limit, and it feels like crafting the perfect tweet. That is what it felt like to write some of the bestiary entries. Because um, obviously you're like, okay, cool, I've got 200 words for uh, for a, a dank old drug off or something like that. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and you go and you do your research and you're like, oh, there's so many cool things I could write about these. And I have 200 words. So trying to squeeze everything in there is the hardest thing ever. Um, it's like, oh, it's crazy. In terms of favorites. <sighs> there had to be one, like, because you talked there, about, uh, I'm going to use your metaphor. You talked about crafting the perfect tweet. There had to be uh, one where you were just like. You were at the Olympics, nailed it. Like, you just, you know, like, you crushed it, and you, like, put the arms up after you wrote it. Like, threw them back from your keyboard, and you're like, that's it. There had to have been a moment. I think the Vermin Lord yeah. um, is probably is probably my favorite. Um, because I've always loved Skaven in general, and writing your, your Vermin Lord is, like, the, the quintessential, like, apex skaven um and also then it came along and we had like an incredible art piece and stuff as well that had like the skaven lord front and center and it all just like came together in that crystalline moment of oh this is good <laughs> actually pulled um, up the vermin lord text you'll just zoom in here so if chat gang wants to read it oh no don't read don't read it someone don't. will spot a spelling mistake or something now that it's literally live on stream <laughs> it's okay. the perfect perfect perfect, perfect. Uh, uh, grammatical error Towering demons of malice and decay, the Skaven Vermin Lords are the greatest manifestation of the Great Horned One's dark power. That's a good opening sentence. Like that. That's mm. like I, like I need to read more. This is this is your uh, <laughs> this is your the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed moment. Like I'm in. <laughs> I know everything I need to know. Um, and now I got to read more. <laughs> that was the goal. Yeah, because right. again, like every that was the other aspect. It wasn't because when we were trying to write all the bestiary entries, when you're writing a bestiary entry, you're not wanting to write biological field notes. You're not wanting to say these are ten foot tall high and they can spit acid and do this thing and do that thing. Everything should again be laced with 
plot hooks, potential plot hooks, like as a, as a GM, how can you use these cool things? So that's like the other aspect as well, trying to squeeze in all the cool things they can do and all the cool things they could be used for as well. Um, there's like always so much going on. Uh, I also really loved all of the pets um, and uh, familiars section because that was a wonderful surprise. I didn't know I would get to write that originally. That was sort of like a, a later, okay, you know what? You just you you just take the, the bestiary. And I was like, wait, I get to write about my stories and quiverlings and all of these adorable things that people can have as their friends. Um, well, see, what's interesting is like when you write the bestiary, you're, oftentimes you're writing things the party will fight, right? Mm-hmm. But when you write pets and familiars, you're, you're writing things the party gets to like hang out with. Yeah. So like, there's like, a, you got to do kind of like the the villainy side of it, and then you also got to do the like the high five, let's friend, like friend, super friendship powers side of it, which is like fantastic. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the a lot of the pets and and things like that are not exactly high five uh, friendly. Okay, fair um, enough. Fair true. enough. But, <laughs> fair but enough. Yes, I see. I, I see what you're saying. Well, the clockwork. The, there's like a clockwork owl, and I'm just like, uh, my mind's mm. like cast back to. Uh, the Clash of the Titans, what's his yeah, name? Uh, yeah. Not Phobos. Uh, 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 Bubo. Bubo, mm. the, the Clockwork Owl. I'm just like, yes! <laughs> clockwork clockwork pets, let's go! <laughs> yeah. Um, um, some of those were quite tough as well. Um, there were uh, some of them, because again, like, you know, you'll know yourself, Age of Sigmar as a setting. Um is still fairly new, especially when compared to like 40k, when compared to the old world. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of room, and I feel like Soulbound was this another unique opportunity to flesh out a lot of these things um, and say, okay, let's take a, a more macro look at certain things, which sometimes means, oh, cool. So this miniature has this familiar fish friend attack. <laughs> Yeah, it has it has this familiar thing attached to it. Write two hundred words about that. What is it? Don't know, but it's called this. <laughs> and then having to like scape together what little nuggets of lore you can and weave it together into. To, to can you be specific? Was there was there like one that you're like this is on the base? We want it. It's got this name. Like the, there's like uh, Bloodhawks, I think, are one of them. I'm like, what the heck is that? Or Blood Blood Eagle? Yeah, or there were a few. Or not Blood Eagles, to... it was Solar Eagle or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd need to be careful because things were cut as well. Like the bestiary, the bestiary got cut down some, um, so, so I don't want to go saying one that might show up in a okay. in another thing. Let me um, see if I can't help give you slightly better direction here, as I recall. Mm. Uh, pets and mounts. So we've got uh, the 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 bitter grub cat, dappled ifrit, the drill bill, which is the clockwork owl I was joking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fangmora eel, Griffhound, Griff Charger, uh, horse now added. My PDF auto updated. No, um, <laughs> my story quiverling, the scryer, uh, the scryer fish, or mm-hmm. the scryfish, spirit guardian, and star eagle. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think things. I seem to remember the scryfish being one that there wasn't an enormous amount on, and I had to like. Yeah. This is the. Some- yeah, this is the fish friends joke where I'm like, oh yeah, the fish friends. Like every IDK model has like random fish friends, yeah, which is yeah. always on the base. Um, yeah, and it's like, what's the difference between your scryfish and uh, your fangmora eels and things like that? What what makes them 
uh, what makes them special because especially if you're dealing with like a pet you want to kind of know how it works you know you want to know like the kind of the the personality like people know the difference between a cat and a dog um quite intimately right <laughs> um, yeah there's entire memes about cats versus dogs and like mm -hmm. you know the cat will you know like you have you must appease the cat and the dog is kind of dopey right like we, mm. we we have an entire meme culture around cats and dogs <laughs> like, um so, so there's definitely like definitely some in there um that were that were that way where there just there wasn't an enormous amount on them and obviously everything goes through approval and things like that so and like you you write a thing and it gets pinged off and goes through obviously all cubicle sevens folk and then that gets pinged off to uh, gw uh, games workshop and they uh, approve everything and stuff so we're not uh no no wild westing it at least right well i mean but that does mean that like you have some like blank canvas on this this rapid not rapidly but this filling in image of what age of sigmar is like you said we're going on mm -hmm. five years in july is five mm -hmm. years of age of sigmar Right, that is that is so tiny compared to how long 40k lore has been written. Yeah, something you wrote got to inform is canon now. Something you wrote, G GW had a disposable sentence in one t battle tome once, and like suddenly you have to write something about it, and mm -hmm. then like you go through the proper channels, you write the thing. You didn't wild west it, but it got approved, and now that is in. That's on the canvas now. That's you've painted that picture. Yeah. I try not to think about that one too much either. Really. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to think about the first module that forever like you know there's going to be a second aos or a third aos and like hopefully you get to rewrite your own adventure but like with strahd the original writer of the initial strahd didn't rewrite the strahd to my mm. knowledge somebody one day you know might be rewriting your original module that'd be crazy yeah for for me like um some of the weirdest ones where so so obviously the the core book came out um, and then I was researching, I can't remember, I can't remember what exactly I was researching. It was something for, uh, like a, like a combat encounter or something. Um, and I, I turned to community resources a lot. All, everyone out there who moderates Age of Sigmar wikis and forums and things like that, I love you. You make my job so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being able to go and find sort of like cool nuggets of information um, that point towards, oh, here's an extract from a Black Library novel or something like that. I'm like, okay, cool. I don't need to go read that black, entire Black Library novel for that little thing. Then. I love it. You're, you're all special to me. The weirdest thing in the world is when I now see my own writing staring back at me. <laughs> it's uncanny. So I'm like, oh, so uh, I need to go look this something up and then I'll, I'll pull up a bestiary entry on like one of the, the Age of Sigmar wikis. And I'm like, this is very fit hold on <laughs> i wrote this it's the weirdest thing ever um the canon you're you're part of the zeitgeist now you talked about like sort of like consuming the zeitgeist to to, to be relevant you are part of that now if i go to write my like narrative for my aos army i'm building and i stumble upon unintentionally you know your your description of the scryer fish on the wiki and that inspires me to pick certain colors or go with a certain direction. My, you've you've now contributed, uh, but you you try not to think about that either. <laughs> like a, a little bit, a little a bit, teeny tiny, a teeny tiny bit. See, it's all, you know. we we have a lot in common in terms of the writing process, which is why this has been really really like fun for me. I, I've loved it. I've loved this interview. By the way, this is 
I think probably my favorite so far in Rantcast. Sorry, Emmett. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know, I know. But, but like, one way we differ is, as I mentioned, I, I, pref- I confess that I'm an egoist, and, like, so I would just, like, do the Vince McMahon walk away from the Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, and you have this, like, humility that is that is astonishing that uh, with it. Um... I think um, it, I, I had an, an analogy a while ago. Uh, when I was very young, um, my now departed gran, uh, she used to collect uh, crystal animals, the most delicate little spindly things ever. Um, and... Uh, I was always terrified of them. They were the most beautiful things, carefully curated over decades, like from presents, and they had so much sentimental value and care and love. Um, and she used to be like, you know, you can you can hold this or whatever. And I was terrified too. I, I always wanted to put it down as quickly as possible and walk away because, you know, it was something that someone else loved so much. And every time I approach any shared IP, especially something with a community. Uh, like Age of Sigmar or Warhammer or whatever, where people go out of their way in their spare time to curate, to manage. There's entire people, uh, companies dedicated to creating all this lore, all this stuff. Like I feel this, this it takes me back to those moments sometimes because I'm so terrified that this thing that someone has loved and adored and, and polished and everything all this time, I'm going to drop. <laughs> I'm going to break it. I'm going to do something. And at the end of the day, even if I'm polishing something up or like adding an extra facet or whatever, it's still not mine. It's it's everyone's. It's everyone who has built on that foundation um, and curated it over the years. And everyone at Cubicle 7 who's like fact checking and everyone at GW who gives the thumbs up and everything. Um, so uh, So there you go. No ego because I'm terrified is essentially the the TLDR of that one. Uh, no, that was a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, uh, analogy, which is brilliant. Um, I think that's probably a great one to end on, actually. Um, okay. If you don't mind, I mean, go out, go out strong, right? Uh, do I get to look forward to any more of your contributions to Soulbound going forward, though? Uh, yes, the, absolutely. At this point, <laughs> you're you're starting to craft these 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 wonderfully spun crystal you know things to be cherished i you know whether you want to take credit for it or not but but do i do i get to experience more of your work going forward uh yeah for so i'm writing more content for wrath and glory right now um, and i'll be continuing working on those things like yeah i don't think any of that stuff's been announced so i'll on that one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for soulbound i think the only thing i'm working on Here. that's been announced right now is shadows in the mist Um, i've got some some content in there um, that's another uh, another chunk of adventure um, and obviously the GM screen with the cities in flame cities of flame I always get it mixed up I can't remember whether it's in or on uh, but there's the, the booklet that comes with that which just has 25 sort of one page um, adventure hooks um, and I wrote a few in there so- and, uh, and yeah more things down the line um, I've uh, so far, Emmett and everyone at Cubicle 7 have been really great with continuing to offer uh, more opportunities and things going forward. So, so that's, that's fantastic. I, um, I, I, I'm running a digital online version of Soulbound, and I will be purchasing the GM screen uh, mm-hmm. because it has Nagash on the cover. So I feel like uh, a good one. whether it's Emmett or the, the 
CEO of, of Cubicle 7, somebody had my number uh, in the company. And <laughs> they're just like, we're going to get Mephisto to buy this. Um, <laughs> and then, sold. Uh, you knew. Uh, put Nagash on it. I'm all about it. <laughs> if, you, if you're looking for other things I'm working on as well, um, I, get, I get a soft announcement tonight. It's the first time I can I can say um, that uh, that Digi Sprite we are officially working on an Adventure Mart tabletop RPG. Um, so that's been that's been a thing. Um, it was one of the most commonly requested things we got when we were making the board game um, because so- obviously everyone's seeing all these like adorable characters and stuff um, and Sam and everyone we built these entire worlds. Like, how does this 7-Eleven function in a fantasy world? Well, there's got to be, like, all the... stuff yeah. come from, right? Like, where's it all coming yeah. from? Yeah, yeah. we have uh, we have brands, you know? So there's, like, there's, okay, so this is the Avaldi Forge brand, right? And they're sort of, they're all a bunch of bears that live in a mountain by a Corium spring, and they use all that to make their crazy equipment, and it's all bear-themed and all that sort of stuff. So we ended up building these massive lore docks and stuff um and uh so yeah so we're we're working on that right now no solid date for that yet but that's a that's a thing and that's going to be exciting so obviously it'll be the first time i'll have written a full system (laughs) not just we're going bestiary archetypes adventures system um yeah i just it's a lot like um sort of like uh like having these little like uh stepping stones that you're 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 hopping across and then suddenly you have to make the big leap at the end into a whole yeah. the whole system um yeah. that one's quite close to my heart right now because it's uh like the key thing i want with that is trying to build a system where combat is not the the primary method of resolving conflicts like so, you can resolve conflicts with emotion and and uh, things like that so, is, is kind of the thing I just, I just played Punk Apocalyptic with um with Charlotte over. I, on I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The and beans. I I promise, and I had all the bean puns. Uh, I promise I won't play the snarky face person in her next game I'm in. Uh, but I keep doing it. It's like I have a type. Um, <laughs> she, uh, the, in that something we didn't get to fully experiment it with or ex- fully go into was they had essentially like a social combat entire other subsection of that. Yeah. And um. I mean, you talked about like sort of like scholarly playing games. I'm like, I, I would love to see a game that that goes like where combat is almost like devalued, and the system is like super, like you know, surface level punch stuff, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. then you have the you devote all the energy to like the social combat. I mean, yeah. uh, going bringing this back to video games from like the onset, like Deus Ex: uh, Human Revolution was. I don't know. Did you play it? Uh, I didn't play it, but Sam actually just finished playing it, and I got a blow by blow as he was playing it. Um, so, yeah, um, it's worth checking out. But it has what I call like like one of the big criticisms of this is probably one of the last video games I I reviewed when I still did Games Journal. Um, I said something along the lines of like you know one of the big criticisms of that game at the time that I was reviewing it was like that the the boss fights weren't hard, quote unquote. Because they were just like... Oh, was that the first one? Yeah. Yeah, not the... Okay, I did one. play the first one. I didn't play... Oh, that was Mankind Divided, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I didn't was play new... Mankind Divided, but I, I played Human Revolution. I, uh, there's re- good reasons why folks shouldn't have played that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 
politics and stores and bugs and stuff like that. But um, the the first one was really solid. And I remember there was a point in time where I was like trying to do the dialogue with like uh, what was his name, Sarah or whatever, like the the mm. main CEO. And I was trying to do a dialogue, and I reloaded the game because I wasn't happy with my choice. And he said different dialogue lines. I was so angry that like, mm. and then I realized, and then that like informed the my why I had a totally different experience from other other folks who are like there are no boss fights. I realized that there were dialogue boss fights, and they were far more engaging than the like rocket launcher at boss. Like I'm yeah. like. And uh, that's I, kind of like with uh, with Adventure Mart that I'm wanting to do is you're not playing as the um, you're not playing as the adventurers. You're not diving into dungeons. You're the you're the clerks. I love it. Um, in the store who are having to deal with the adventurers. Um, that's sort of like the tagline for me is like everyday problems solved in like magical ways. So you know your your shift starts in an hour. And the place is trashed because of the party last night. Uh, how do you solve the problem? Fantastic! You got to get open, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's kind of like the thing I wanted to do with that. Um, so so that'll be very interesting. And again, it's another wild gear shift from working on Wrath and Glory and Soulbound and stuff to go to essentially uh, Animal Crossing slash Clerks. Um, <laughs> I, I the, but so that you know the two media you have to consume now to like make this. You just got to watch Clerks one and two, and then like yeah. and, and then Clerks I, the animated <laughs> series as well. You know, if you really want to, Clerks the animated series is actually pretty solid. Like they do that the climbing the rope gag where like every it's yeah. For those who haven't seen it, you, the first episode of Clerks animated series is a standard episode. The second episode is a flashback episode to the first episode. It's so cool. It like what a great it's gag. So- it's so dumb. But, uh, <laughs> You're but, yeah. probably a dumb and I'm like, great. <laughs> D- dumb things can be great and great things it's can true. be dumb. It's true. But that's the thing. Like, I wanted to be in the writer room. That's one of those, like, me, writer, having writer envy. I'm like, I would love to have been. I have, I have like, three of these moments. One of them is I would have loved to have been in the writer's room when they're like, we're going to set up a flashback episode with the first episode. Yeah. Like, who thought that up? What? person in the writer room or like you know like or now been in the google doc right like writing in the google doc and someone just like highlights the sentence they just wrote and like adds a little note off to the side like i that process the other one is mine for uh finding nemo whoever decided Mm -hmm. seagulls needed to say mine (laughs) what was very very on point mine 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 (laughs) one of the best gags like that sorry um but i, I I'm, I'm looking forward to this i'm actually i wrote down um uh the doomsday bot and i'm basically gonna go buy it right now <laughs> after i get awesome. done recording awesome. um because that sounds i'll fantastic. take one from the pile we have over there and i'll get a box up right. autograph it and like send it to me can i just buy it I, i'll i will 100 percent autograph it if you want i can get the whole team get the whole team like. yeah i'll fantastic. have to take it out the cellophane though so that's all right. That's all right. That's yeah. all right. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll autograph it. I'll, I'll DM you. I'll DM you afterwards. Actually, awesome. awesome. Um, cool. Um, so yeah, um, I'm, that's actually really cool uh, that you're 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 going RPG now. You have to bring it full circle now, and you need to make the 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 uh, the, the fantasy mart into um, into a video game. So you gotta go like you gotta make the RPG uh, gotta do the video and, game, and then you gotta make the like Grand Theft Auto style. Except it's we've, we've all said um, that our dream is if we could have an adventure mart slice of life anime, like like an Agretzko mm. type thing, because 
that would be an absolute dream. Um, but uh, but I think we might just be a little bit too small to make that one happen. For now. Um, for now. For now. It's, for it now. sounds like you're on a great track, honestly. Like, um, yeah. oh, we, we also have um, in... We've got our new board game as well that we're working on, Familiar Alchemy, uh, which, is a, which is a game of uh, growing plants and brewing potions in sort of steeped in Scottish mythology. So this one's very close to our hearts. We're all uh, Scottish devs. Um, and uh, that one's Robin's, the, the lead design on that one, because um, she's a, a plant nerd. If I were to turn the camera about 30 degrees, you would see that I'm surrounded by plants right now. Mm. Um, so, so we've got that one coming up as well. There's, there's always lots of plates spinning. So if you want to, if you want to keep up with me and all the various things I'm working on, you should check me out at Elaine Lithgow on Twitter. Um, it's probably the best place to find me. Fantastic. That's my shill. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Uh, and and they can actually follow. Uh, it's a Digi Digi Sprite team on Twitter. Uh, uh, is it Digi Sprite team or Team Digi Sprite? Team Digi Sprite. Yeah, you're right. You would be right, not me. <laughs> you would be correct, not me. Um, I think it's at Team Digi Sprite as well. If you want to keep up on on all those things and uh, and yeah. So, so there we go. See, if I put in too much effort into my research, then the bar raises on my content, and I, we don't want to raise my bar. Like, like I'm comfortable where I am. <laughs> yeah, this has been this has been great. It's been very nice and chill, and the longest interview I've done. So, congratulations. Boom! Rantcast record. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Elaine, for 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 being on here. Um, honestly, this is this is one of my my favorite interviews I've done so far too. So, thank you so much. Um, I'm very glad. Rancast, uh, you know where to follow her. You know where to follow her works. Um, thank you so much for being with us tonight, chat gang. You're the show within the show. Remember to be excellent to yourself. Be excellent to each other. Drink your milk. Pay your taxes. We'll catch you uh, later on tonight with Soulbound. <laughs> um, I'm going to go 